I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 478. You're going to scoot away from me a little bit there. That's what you're going to do. The first thing, you, you open the show. You could have done it before the show, but you wait for the show to open, then you look over and you scoot away a little bit. That's what I do. Just well, to score yourself I, up. I'm here with Johnny V. So glad to be here. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. It's October 31st, 2023. I'm sure we've done a broadcast on Halloween before. I'm sure we have. If we went back and checked some of the math, uh, I would assume that we've been here. We've done them on New Year's. I know that we've done them on birthdays. Yeah, so I don't recall a Halloween, but I, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we've done one. I know that <laughs> I did make a post that came up from eight years ago when I was at the Halloween Classic in Las Vegas, which I'll touch on more in a moment. But I was at the one in 2015. And the post that popped up on Facebook was that we were at the Paris Hotel, and I was, just you, you were not, that I, I was there along with some of the crew from Legacy, and that, that was... That sounds um, like a lot of trouble to me. That was, I'm not going to lie, That Terry. was one of my first evenings of ever um, partaking or enjoying or being um, privy to uh, experiencing bottle service at a <laughs> at any form of establishment, because I, I ain't fancy like that normally. I don't believe I've ever had that experience. So, uh, and if you're going to do it, Halloween in Vegas is the right place, one of the right places to be doing it at. So uh, a, a very fun and fond memory, of course, nothing but fun and wholesome times had there. So big shout out to my friends over there at Legacy, uh, one of the many, many moments throughout the years that I'll forever remember. So um, yes, and then I will real quickly touch on, since it's not going to get elaborated on tonight, I did have the pleasure of being in Las Vegas this weekend, which was somewhat almost under the radar only because I'm working on the footage, which is already the editing has already started, but I don't really want to talk the event or even the results. It was a it was a phenomenal B tier with a lot of fun. But I am hoping that by this time, one week from today, 
everything will be out. Maybe we'll even have the champion on. Of course, if you want to spoil it, go for it. But uh, I normally we talk about where I just was, but with no footage and and it being maybe under the radar, let's just hold off a week and we'll talk about it next week. That's that's currently my plan. And if it's not edited by then, well, then we'll talk about it anyway. But that's the plan is to give you all that. We've got other eight tiers and things we can discuss and stuff coming up um, for this upcoming weekend, one of which is uh, the NADGT Championships will be taking place down there in Texas. I know there's going to be a lot of excitement around there. Technically, that will be the last official live broadcast of the Disc Golf Network for 2023. Of course, we closed out the you know, USDGC and then the pro tour championship. And and those are what most people are tuning in for and would come to expect, but there is one more and it's taking place this weekend. So the NADGT uh, championships in Texas, I believe the, I don't know if it's just the final nine or if it's 18 plus nine, something of that nature. Um, There's going to be the, the, the final putts and the final shots will all be shown. Fairly sure. I would give this a good 88.43. Look dumb. Percent chance that we're going to see two 18s, one from MPO and one from FPO, of just the final four competitors. That that sounds roughly checks out what I with what I, I think I, I heard at one point too. So there, regardless, you're going to see the champions crowned uh, down there in Texas for the NADGT, and that will be the official final live Disc Golf Network broadcast of the year that I know of. Unless something else pops up, that's crazy, but I highly doubt that. So. All right. So with that, uh, welcome in again, everyone. Tonight, we're going to have Seth Muncy join us. He is doing some trick-or-treating and Halloween obligations uh, along with his kids and family right now and uh, wrapping up his night. So we told him we'll take him whenever he pops onto the show. We'll be ready and we'll stop whatever mindless conversation we're currently having. And then we will get to someone much smarter. And that means Seth will join us and we'll talk to him about this season and then probably talk a little bit about off season. So if you're already thinking about some things that either uh, you want to put into your routine or some things to think about, maybe we can, you know, pick Seth's brain a little bit on that. The big news that dropped literally the day after the podcast, Wednesday, mm. um, I'm going to have to talk to someone at the pro tour about that. They were supposed to drop it on Tuesday. I, I remember hearing that, but it got delayed a day. I don't, I don't know quite why. A what they're calling a unified European tour. Now that might be a little confusing because we have the unified tour here. <laughs> yes. Um but this is a joint European tour from what was the EPT, what was the Euro the Euro tour. Mm-hmm. Are now technically merged, combined, gobbled up. I don't know how you want to phrase it, but uh, it was announced on Wednesday of last week that the EPT basically is going to join with the Disc Golf Pro Tour, and the Euro Tour next year will be non-existent. And instead, what we're going to get is we're going to get five Elite Series events, which will all be live broadcast, that are part of the Disc Golf Pro Tour as well as well as an undetermined number of future silver events. Now, these aren't events that Silver Lot is running. running? No. Damn, that'd be awesome if he did. He just reads, I am the Silver Series. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
So, no, but uh, ultimately, I'm sure he'll go to some of the silver events. Uh, I mean, it would make sense. Yeah. But ultimately, we're going to see a unified tour next year. The gentleman at Disc Golf Stream, and specifically Yuha, who also ran the EPT, are now employees of the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Yuha is the European media director, I believe, is was his title. European media. He does something with European media. I don't know if he's technically a director, a VP, manager, uh, I don't know, corporal, admiral. Could be anything for all I know. But that is technically his tour. So he's going to kind of be heading up the European side of the the tour. Media-wise. D- Media-wise, out of DGPT Europe. I'm sure he's going to have a say in some of the events, probably helping with silver. Now, my understanding is that the silver events that show up, they will have post-production, but mm-hmm. we will not see live production from those. Okay. Only the Elite Series events will have live production. Okay. And the European Open, which is a major, but that's I, I, I kind of assume that's a given. If you're listening, you probably know that. If you if you ask the question and we were in the same room, I'd probably slap you, but and say, "Don't be dumb, don't be don't be a dumb dumb head." Don't, don't be a dumb uh, his head. official title uh, since I happen to pull it up in front of me. Uh, he, is, he was the former EPT. Uh, uh, now DGPT Europe Media Director. Okay. And uh, Miko uh, uh, Wickman, former tour director for the EPT, will serve as the DGPT Europe Operations Manager. So I see good things and bad things about this. Um, and the good completely outweigh the bad, which is great, which is the way we want it. Now, the good thing is, if you're a viewer, one less subscription that you could have signed up for. Disc Golf Stream. You don't, I was, you and I both had subscriptions. I think you got yours comped. I'm not going to lie. I did not. I paid for mine, you, huh? Um, but I had a subscription to both. I would wake up in the morning, flip on the uh, disc golf stream, watch a little bit there, wait till the afternoon, then we'd get a little bit more of the FPO on our side than the MPO. And we'd have, we'd have a lot of overlap. If you were a fan of disc golf, it, I mean, on one hand, it was really great. You had all the disc golf you could consume. On the other hand, That's a lot of disc golf that's overlapping. We have a unified tour. We don't have to worry about overlapping tour events in Europe. Yeah. The, and I'm assuming that the guys who moved from the EPT to the DGPT, they've got full-time jobs. Now I know Yuha has always been kind of an entrepreneur over there, a disc golf entrepreneur specifically, I believe. And he created this media company. Now, the downside that I see, unfortunately, is less competition. Now, again, depending on who you want to ask, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. The Pro Tour clearly wants to be the one-stop shop for all things live disc golf. They, they do a phenomenal job. I wouldn't, I wouldn't contract with them if I didn't like and uh, commend what they were doing. But I do like competition. I like the fact that there was a, an EPT pushing the DGPT, because to be honest, I don't think that the DGPT or DGN would have moved into the Euro Tour had it not been for the EPT. Now, the way I see it, 
and maybe I'm wrong, this is just an outsider's view, EPT shows up, does a pretty commendable job, Eurotour sees, PDGA Europe sees what they probably look at as a competitor and something that they don't want to see happen to what happened here in the U.S., where we have two competing tours. So then what we see is the Euro Tour expand and get, you know, a pretty significant investment in it. We saw Paul Macbeth show up. They had uh, live live broadcasting through DGN. And now we don't have that. So the, the Euro Tour is gone for now, or probably permanently if this works out. Now, my guess, Europe couldn't sustain two tours. That's my guess. You've got certain amount of income, certain amount of players, certain amount of sponsors that probably want to be associated with disc golf. That's a lot of different uh, mouths to feed right there. So there's a chance that the EPT was not profitable and that much like kind of the Jomez acquisition, this actually maybe saved the EPT sort of. I think the PDGA Euro Tour probably could have continued because they, with the PDGA backing, that's a pretty significant financial backing. But now we see one combined tour. So, well, again, I, I feel like the EPT helped push the DGPT into Europe, maybe a little sooner than they wanted. Ultimately, the DGPT gets what they want and now are and working with Yuha from the EPT, one combined tour that they will work on, hopefully expanding the European tour, because ultimately they're going to get, in theory, less big events. Because at that, I think last year we had like 13 or 14 quote-unquote tour events between the two tours. This year we're getting five elite series and some silver events. And I don't know, those could be really big silver events. Nothing's yeah. been announced yet. I, I'm not going to make any uh, assumptions on the whether that it's going to be sustainable for European-only players. I don't know that. And we won't know until we until we see the silver events. Yeah, and I guess the follow-up to that is, if, if, they ha- if we have five events that are elite events, and then there's eight to ten silver events, and that matches roughly the 13 that we saw last year, it, it may feel... The still very similar. It might, yeah. It, with a few of those events just being additionally elevated. So I don't know that it necessarily indicates any anything negative in that sense. It's just a matter of you, you're you looking at a different naming structure, some slightly different points allocated yeah. and things of that nature. I guess the, the bigger question that has to be asked is, do we see a world where there is a tour that, or a portion of the tour that is... 10 elite series events ever over there or will it always be that they're going to be playing catch up or second fiddle to what's happening in in the states and whether that's due to money or location or resources and yeah and that's a great question because this is a problem that the dgbt now has to solve in that you have an expanding in theory hopefully european tour so you have ultimately what again what i would love to see would be a, a U.S. tour and a Euro tour. And that, you know, w- whether the funds that go into both of them are the same or not, I guess it depends on how the Disc Golf Pro Tour wants to look at it, how the sponsors want to look at it. 
that's going to be very difficult. But we see that the tour finale here in the U.S. is the largest paying event of the year. I would love to see a semi-equivalent tour finale over in Europe as well with a lot of money. Now, the question is, are we going to see that? I don't know. Is the pro tour pushing for Europeans to come over in spring, jump back in, get their five to six events in, and then come back over here for, we'll say, Worlds to uh, the pro tour finale most years? I know next year is going to be a little unique with the with the uh, Champions Cup, but like, what is their goal? And I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't even know if the pro tour quite knows the answer to that yet. I believe the long-term... Outlook will probably be sustainability for two tours, and that a, a, a U.S. someone in the U.S. can go over there. Now, my guess is that it's probably never going to be quite as big as the U.S. tour, just based on the number of players and the quality of players right now that the U.S. has. It seems like we have, you know, the, you know, they've got, I would say. A handful of elite players on the MPO side, and Kristen Tatar, Silva Saarinen, Evelina, and Henna. But ultimately, if you look at the the number of elite players, the U.S. has them beat. Yeah, and 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 again, that might change in ten years with the way that with the way that continent is uh, well, is pumping out kids. Yeah, if it continues to be a logical tour that has the financial backing on resources and you're playing great courses and the payouts continue to increase, then it makes perfect sense. And it might be a lot of people really like the Euro stops because of the courses. Those, those courses are a different style than the U S courses. We see a lot of people here in the U S complain about the early tour stops, the, the openness, the flatness of them. You could probably go over to Europe, depending on how these silver events are, and they might not be as valuable, but you could probably get some really cool wooded courses in if you really wanted to, and maybe even be able to sustain a living over there. Now, it's going to be more difficult for a U.S. person to go over there because you have to upend your life. A lot of our touring players here are obviously van life people. Yeah. So that's going to be more difficult, but... I mean, the Euro style courses are real popular. So maybe, maybe we're going to hope, maybe there'll be some uh, push for that. Yeah. I, I think that becomes the ultimate question is what is the long term goal for the golf that's played over there in terms of what is televised and, um, how long we we want to be there, so to speak, and then just like here in the U.S., if if you have a bunch of events on great courses that maybe aren't getting the love of the pro tour, mm-hmm. it won't be long before they say, "Hey, we're going to create a tour of our own." I mean, and I know that was kind of a a quiet sentiment underneath. So, this year's scheduling from the Pro Tour, sure. which is, hey, we're losing a ton of great silver events. There's a bunch of uh, events that are are Elite Series quality, quality, but aren't getting that distinction or weren't selected or or picked to be this year. And, and so yeah, funding as well. You, you uh, yeah, need to have, of course. Yeah, and yeah, and have funding and have yeah. these types of things, and and have it all. Of course, the the main component that one of the main components they're missing out on would be. The live media coverage, 
Uh, but Very it, continues to to, it continues to but talk I'm about a sale. lot of different uh, opportunities that could be um, that could become available. And if if there's enough driven people with a lot of great courses and good events, yeah. it just might push somebody. Or look at what Cali has done in a with similar sense with the Masters Tour, you know, trying to scratch that itch, so to speak. So I, anything is possible for what's going to happen. I mean. As we know, you can only hold hold down or ignore or hold back or or not select, uh, you know, passionate, dedicated, uh, well run events for so long before then either they uh, entirely give up and go away or they band together with a or bond together with a few other events. Both terms and, would work. Yeah, exactly. And then they ultimately go on to uh, create something special of their own, and it may or may not, you know, rise to a the, you know the. I'd love to see it. The size of other stuff. To be honest, right? I think it would be fun. Again, com- competition drives um, excellence to have a secondary tour. The hard part is getting pros away from. Certainly. The, because as we know, the the pro tour finale is a big pull because of the money. You want to qualify for that. So getting pros to. I mean, if Casey Wide Open showed up and had a you know a hundred thousand dollar purse, which honestly I could see, sure, that's one of the you know one of the events I think that you know could could really pull that off. They've got the quality of courses there. The question is, would you be able to pull in? You're probably not pulling in your your very top guys, the ones that maybe don't. Well, I guess that's or tough to say. The guys that want a weekend off. The guys don't. I mean, who says it has there's to only be a, so many weekends in the year too? Who who says it has to be a weekend off? If you if if let's just say Casey Wide Open is going up against uh, OTB, I was gonna say okay, go on. Just uh, anyone, Portland OTB Beaver State, whatever that is, and the quality of the what the players maybe deem the quality of the course maybe they like better mm-hmm. the style. If the money is at least the same, the players that maybe have already guaranteed themselves a spot into the tour finale. I could see them maybe just going to play this really big, awesome, we'll say a tier or second tour event Mm -hmm. without, I don't know. I would love to see it just for competitions. Well, we'll see. Uh, We'll see what, what continues to drive and, and, you know, you can rewind here on Smashbox five or six or eight years and, and see how it's evolved in that what used to get players to events versus what it is today. And then just how much the overall landscape of tour events, what that looks like. And they're just two totally different worlds. It, I mean, many years ago, like money, money, if you had a good guaranteed purse, money would get any player to just about anywhere. Yeah. Almost any weekend, in any occasion, a little, whether that was paying for the entry fee and or saying first place is five grand or three grand or whatever it was, uh, you know, putting you up, whatever. There were so many now what feel like very basic things. It used to be enough to entice a player or bribe or, or persuade a player you- or a set of players to play in events. And now there's so much more money infused in our sport that it's not just exclusively the payout. There's there's 20 other factors of which the Disc Golf Pro Tour has been trying to hone in on those other 20 factors. And that's why it does make it so much more of a stranglehold that they have versus 
another upcoming event that doesn't have that same prestige that comes along and says, hey, we're trying to check all these boxes. We're trying to have all these factors here for you. And that still just may or may not be enough. It's it, only time's going to tell. Um, and if people even wanted to, that's a tall task. Like if we're being real, like that's a really tall task to say, hey, I'd like to go compete with a disc golf pro tour event on the same weekend. Mm-hmm. And here's all the boxes we can check. There's still going to be a couple that are going to come up short on no matter what they do, probably. But here's some of the boxes we're, we're promising to check. And does anybody even want to kind of take on that that much of a task or a risk? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing somebody will at some if, point. If the sport continues to grow but, and expand and the money is there from sponsors that either don't want to, for whatever reason, don't want to advertise with the Pro Tour or are just looking for alternate Maybe you're maybe you're uh, looking for more local, uh, sure type representation of and graphic. representation. Yeah, yeah, sure. I I don't. Yeah, I don't see why it couldn't happen. But yeah, or or somebody that just really. The last point I'll make on that is the other possibility. Not only just a new uh, person that enters the market that possibly comes in with a lot of money, or somebody that just says, "Hey." We intentionally do not support, uh, we'll just say the pro tour, and our company is going to face uh, is going to invest in really being the major backbone to an entirely alternative tour. And I guess the best example I have of that is we had a prodigy tour in Europe last year, or prodigy was the prodigy you know, was one of the big backers was one of, of the, the big APT. sponsors. So if someone like a prodigy or prodigy I'm just going to throw out a lone star uh, because we've, we often hear of the money that's infused there. If lone star tomorrow came out and said, guess what? We're going to create a lone star tour and it's going to have 10 phenomenal events with all of these insane payouts on all these really good courses with all these great established TDs, and we're going to have all this money, and we're going to have some media coverage that's not quite, that's definitely not to the level in which the Pro Tour has worked Mm -hmm. itself into over the last eight years, but we're going to have definitely some media coverage, and we're going to, again, check all these boxes. Yeah, it could look really appealing, but will that be enough? Who who will that sway, I think, is the question. That's a great question. Um, To extrapolate that, imagine someone like... To advertise on the Pro Tour is expensive. They have a lot of cheaper options, but there are less and less spots for advertising, so the money is going up. If you want to advertise, what probably could have got you, you know, 500 bucks... Five years ago is probably closer to five thousand bucks this year because there's only so many spots to advertise. Sure. So if you're looking at this and saying, "Well, gosh, if I want to advertise with the Pro Tour all year, let's say it's fifty thousand, it's ten thousand, whatever, maybe that money is better spent in pushing out a brand new tour. Like, ah, it's fifty thousand, I get my name on every event. Yeah. Something, something along those lines could be one of the reasons why this spawns. Yeah. It did. Uh, I guess all we can do is wait and see uh, as to if somebody wants to take on that task. And, and maybe you, Terry. you're at home listening. <laughs> nope, not me. Not me uh, but you're at home listening and uh, and you know the right people who want to get involved. And, and the opportunity just might present itself. And uh, it's going to take a ton of work because we're not trying to undersell all the efforts that cool. have already been uh, the lessons that have been learned, the hardships, the trials, the 
uh, the 60-plus the person uh, team that is the Pro Tour plus contractors. Like, there's the, there's a reason it's... Uh, <laughs> It is what it is today. It's it's taken quite a bit to get this far. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about what we did see otherwise. We saw that announcement, which spawned that conversation. But now we uh, we saw some golf uh, go down. So let's uh, let's read off a few A tiers that went down this weekend. It's the spooky season and the Hub City <laughs> Halloween Open. A lot of Halloween based events this weekend, Jerry. Weird. And coming up this upcoming weekend, I think there's going to be a few of them yet. Shocker. Um, we saw in. Spartanburg, I'm sorry, yeah, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Ezra Robinson beats Andrew Marweed by a single stroke, taking home $1,700. Third place was Jake Mon, tied with AJ Carey. Fifth place, Jake Wolf. That's your top five right there. A lot of well-established known names still playing. Playing golf. I mean, some of these guys don't have the benefit of being able to just take the offseason off. So that they're they're going to continue to play these uh, regional A tiers and hopefully pull in between a thousand and two thousand dollars every you know a month or every couple weeks if they're lucky. So, as a Robinson takes this one over in there was no FPO division uh, in MP40. Barry Schultz runs this one down uh, with a five over par, beating Aaron Cunningham by nine strokes. And just for reference, Barry's round ratings: ten sixteen, ten twenty three. And then he cruised in at a 9.85. So congratulations to Mr. Barry Schultz and Ezra Robinson on your victories. Uh, We're going to talk about the Ontario Provincial Disc Golf Championships. Couldn't spit that one out to save my life. Um, Canada's own Thomas Gilbert wins this. He put a a beat down over Chris Brown, which is funny if you think about it. Chris Brown. (laughs) Too soon. Too soon. Is it too too soon? soon? No. I think we're just at enough time. 16 strokes. Thomas Gilbert slaps Chris Brown around. FPO division, Chantel Budzinski uh, wins this over Chloe Winter. Congratulations to Chantel. Miss Frisbee. Miss Frisbee's doing work. You got it. 275, she wins in that one. So that is your Ontario. U.S. dollars, that is. Those aren't Canadian Correct. dollars. Eh? It says prize, USD. I know. I yes. know. That's what yes. I'm saying, U.S. dollars. They didn't get them in, what, <laughs> toonsies or whatever they're, whatever they're called? <laughs> I think they're just called Canadian dollars, aren't they? I think their coins are like. Oh, like their pennies or something else? No, I forget exactly oh. which. But uh, is it toonsies? No, it's something, like, it's something just like that, though. Okay. But that's, <laughs> now I'm going to look. All right, go ahead and look. What, what am I Googling? Canadian, uh, Canadian coins. Coins. Yeah, what are the Canadian coins? Names. Yeah. Uh, uh, five cents is a nickel. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Ten cents is a dime. 25 cents is a quarter. Uh, a loony. A loony, not a toonie. Thank you. A loony <laughs> toonie. No, the, a loony. There's, there's a loony and a toonie. Yeah, a loony is a dollar. A toonie is two dollars, <laughs> Okay, right? I guess. So I knew it was something like I, that. It's a coin. It's not a dollar. It's not their current. Well, it is currency. It's not their paper currency. <laughs> mm. Maybe it is, but I think it's a coin. I think it's an actual like $2 coin they have. So I am I wasn't no, very far off. You weren't being a loony toonie. I wasn't sure. being. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so congratulations to me. I need to get to Canada still. And I, that, A, I'd be more educated on their uh, currencies, on, on their but coins. I just in general, I need to get to Canada. That's That's for another day. Like you're running away to Canada, like um, like you've got a like you've got a girlfriend in Canada and no. nobody's met her. Like no, really, guys, no, She's, not yet. She lives in Canada. But it would be... <laughs> no, uh, so. I just need to get there. 
I know you do. Uh, the only other A tier this weekend, and I'm, I kind of avoided it, but I guess I'll try to spit it out here because I'm going to massacre this, is the EPT All-Star. So the final EPT event, not of this season, but maybe of history, was over in Spain. Winning first place was Pekka Hyvenen. Going with that one. Who wins 3162 3, US dollars. In second place, Yelte Jensen. In third place, Nestori Tukinen. Tukinen? Sure. And in fourth place, <laughs> Isaac Robinson. Isaac Robinson, who went over there. <laughs> Isaac, why couldn't you just win? That would have been, that would have been, I would have stopped at one then, Isaac. I just would have stopped at one. Um, Isaac Robinson tied with uh, Jakob Samarad in fourth place, Oh, as well as Silver Lot. So those were, three were tied for fourth. I did see Isaac and Alden, Alden uh, fly over there. Alden, unfortunately, missed cash while over there. So. Yeah, we talked about that last week, and I did not put two and two together, and I don't think you did either at the time. We talked last week about how no, we I saw put, them. I put Toonie and Toonie together. Yeah, Toonie and Toonie. <laughs> we saw them go over there, and uh, we were uncertain as to the reasoning. And then, uh, like, two days later, it was quite obvious when you well, saw scores for this. I didn't realize they were going over to play in this event. I figured they were going over to play an event. I didn't realize I did it would be the all-star event, because it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Considering I think they only played a handful of European events while they were over there. Maybe two, three. But either way. No reason not to get them in there, especially when, you know, you got Alden Harris who's just donating cash over there. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Uh, in the FPO division, Yeni Kartin, uh, $937, beating Marie Kailas by a single stroke. Congratulations. In third place, Rachel Turton at plus five, winning $443. Those are your all-stars, your EPT all-stars. Yeah, some pretty solid payout for the size of the field. And I don't know how they arrived at those payouts in terms of, you know, if money was generated and then was the reserved. Season, maybe. And- yeah, and then put together in this purse. But when you look at a 43-person total uh, attendance, and that's with FPO and MPO, and then you still saw three grand uh, given out for first place. Well, they could, empty, they could empty the coffers. They didn't need to save anything for next year. I, I guess not. So, uh Nonetheless, uh, certainly of note, though, some pretty solid compensation that was handed out over there. And is that everything we saw for A-tiers? Those were, those in, were all in of the our A-tiers, in the, okay. not only in the U.S., Terry, in the world. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. Thank you for that clarification. Uh, I did see it was linked to me, and I, I'm not, I'll admit I'm not personally all too familiar with the channel, but it was linked to me. I know that Hub City did have some coverage, and it looks like, because, again, the link was sent to me, the YouTube channel is called Great Courses of South Carolina is the YouTube channel in which where some post-production has been put together. Uh, I, I don't know much else about it other than the fact that it's out there. It does exist. They have round one front nine was sent to me. I'm guessing there's going to be even more, and uh, I would assume all all eight videos, if there was, or I'm sorry, six videos, uh, four rounds. Wow. Three rounds, two videos per round would probably equal six. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, go real, check it out. Real quick, we will talk just briefly about uh, a B tier that's happening at Bedford, Virginia. So maybe a little preview very much so of yeah. our world's courses, the blue chip technologies battle for Bedford presented by destination Bedford. Now I normally am not a fan of these long names, but I didn't hear a single disc manufacturer in there, which mm. makes me happy. 
that we have blue chip technologies by Destination Bedford. Destination Bedford is probably their visitors bureau. Probably. But, but blue, blue chip. chip Go ahead. Go no no please. I was just gonna say in blue chip. Uh, I apologize. I've spoken to him a couple of times uh, over maybe in two different places. Um, the gentleman from blue chip and just massively supportive. I know they have sponsored a number of events in the area, and so uh, awesome to see and obviously a a sizable payout and turnout that came this weekend. So thank you uh, to the guys over there at blue chip as well. And we do have some big names here um, winning this one. Pretty handily, seven strokes. Chris Dickerson shooting a 10.42, 10.43, and then a 10.35. So right around his rating, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, second place, Matt Hammerston win, or wins. Takes second place by seven strokes behind Chris Dickerson. Third place, Brody Smith shooting a two under. So three strokes behind Matt Hammerston. And he won $566. And the, finally, a tie for fourth between Carson Ham and Ian Burchett. So congratulations. Uh, going down, down. There's a lot of players here. Yeah, Holy 70, moly. almost 80 MPO competitors. Yeah, I see a couple of big names near the bottom there. In fact, uh, 78, 79, 80, 81. 81 MPO competitors, a few DNF. But when it was all said and done, 81 MPOs. Uh, winning an FPO. Winning an FPO, Debbie U, shooting a 12 over par. Round ratings 937, 967, 923. Not bad. All well above her average. Yeah, well above her, her 901 rating. rating. That's that's right around a pro, usually probably the cash line for FPO at a pro tour event is my guess. So, you know, not not too bad. Uh, second place, Holly Finley, two strokes behind Debbie. And in third place, Irina Shekhova at 29 over par. So congratulations to the three women who cashed. Yeah, Debbie's rating average for the three rounds was 942. So congrats to her. Phenomenal. All right. So that, that, that's the only B tier that we're going to talk about. We don't, yes. we don't usually bring them up, but because it was a world's preview, and we do have some of our bigger pros slumming it, <laughs> uh, just playing at some of these lower tier local events. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and, and we all know that people are going to different courses for different reasons. A, this is going to be somewhat of a world's preview in terms of playing in Bedford. Uh, so I could assume that was going to had to be something with it. You're just overall proximity to it. Uh, that's going to play as a factor into it. And then you look at, like you kind of said just a little while ago, some players have more of a luxury than others in terms of if you feel like you need to play more golf, do you need to make more money? Do you have obligations to any given sponsors about the amount of events that you play in or the coverage in which you get? Those are all the types of factors that can come into playing. And I know there's plenty of you saying, well, why isn't so-and-so or such-and-such playing this weekend? Uh, you're going to see a lot of players obviously largely take off until you know the disc golf pro tour all stars or something of that nature unless they have just a really fun you know relatively close event or it might be a far away event but it's in a great destination that they have some other liking to or some other tie or implication that brings them there and there could probably be a full tournament in calvin heinberg's backyard and, and he'd be like, yeah, I'm good. Literally his backyard. Like yeah. he opens the back door yeah. and he's like, no, guys, hey guys. <laughs> I'm good. I'm just going to sit and spectate. Yeah. It just, it's, some people just don't need it. They want to take the time off and just not think about disc golf. Not, I think Kristen Tatar said that she's going to take a month where she's barely going to touch a disc. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and then move from there. Let, let me, and to follow that up, that is not far-fetched at all compared to what dozens of our pro tour type players, all of our top-level professionals, used to almost 
almost in sync or in unison would say essentially the day or two after they got home from USDGC, mm-hmm. they would take their bag and they'd put it in their closet or they would stash it away and they literally wouldn't touch their disc for a month or more. Specifically, I, I always remember uh, Valerie and Nate saying that, that they would yeah. drive from South Carolina back out to Bend uh, over the last decade or so. They would drive all the way across the country, put their bags in the closet, and they may not get touched for a full like 60 or 90 days. And they were not at all unique they, in that scenario. No. like There was a lot of golfers who just simply wouldn't touch or, or won't touch their discs. There's a lot of golfers still that won't. I know last week I was kind of making the joke that you know some of our golfers – you know, you hear them frustrated or complain that the season's too long, and then the next day you see them out there playing golf, and it's mostly recreational. But, yeah, some will continue to uh, play a few of these other tournaments, which, as we all know, the Dickerson's a warrior. He's going to play every event within about 100 miles of him and probably win it. That's just what he does. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll see what uh, what he continues to take on. Um, I, I think the course has to be right. I Yeah, I think, again, every player has their own incentives for, as to why or where they'll go play and for what given reason. But yeah. you called it perfectly when you said, like, Calvin Heimberg couldn't care less about a tournament going on in his backyard. <laughs> um, just uh, different different strokes for different folks. Ray asks, Terry, have you ever gotten kind of sick of disc golf and taken a month off? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, like, we take months off of playing tons. Yeah, like, yeah. That's, I, that's I, nothing. I had to actually look for my bag a few weeks ago when I wanted to go play. I literally couldn't remember even where it was, if it was in storage or in my car or wherever. But there's but. never been a month in your life where you haven't done, you haven't worked something disc golf. Correct. Yeah, yeah that would... Uh, I was going to say in the last 20 years since I've done disc golf full time, but even before that, it Correct. wouldn't matter since probably 19. The last time that probably happened, honestly, was I would say around 95 okay. or 96 when I was in high school. And that's before I discovered winter golf, because one of the two main courses in, in the area where Johnny and I, v, Johnny V and I grew up. You don't the, think... The main course that I loved playing was Plumman, yep. and they would take that out in like October-ish, October, November, whatever it was. They take, they pull out the baskets, which is common. There's other activities. There's sledding. There's snowmobilers. There's other things going on in that park. skiing and stuff. So yeah. they would take the baskets out of the ground, and I didn't know of or, or actively participate at the other course that was 15 or 20 minutes away. It was the only other course, and that was 15 or 20 minutes away. And they left their baskets in all winter. And then finally, when some good friends kind of, I'll say, for lack of a better term, introduced the concept of playing in the winter when I was like 17 or whatever it was, that's when I would go play winter golf. That would probably be right around, because I used to, for the first couple of years, I did take my bag, all like nine discs I owned, and I would go put them in, a, in the closet. And then, like I said, within a year or two of that, well, I was thinking, when I found winter there, golf. There might have been like a January in college where we didn't play. No, because that was always like big freeze. So you were out oh, there practicing true. for right, the ice bowl. <laughs> and then we were going, no, and then I was going to crack plastic in well, February. Crack plastic usually in February. Big freeze was almost always the week before the Super Bowl. Yeah, and then two weeks later was crack plastic in yeah. Michigan. And then a couple, you know, and then shortly after that would be the MDGO series that's starting up. And yeah. the Ed no, Holtz. Right. The Ed Holtz we were playing in February. And, I know. In 97, 98. Got the trophies in there. So <laughs> at, some point, at some point we started running that event. Yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, I can't imagine. And and I will admit a few people this weekend had also 
said, and a lot of people have said, like, oh, it's the offseason. Just real quick, for me, <laughs> in this sense, not really, because I think about, um, you know, in, now in t- being in Vegas, now in two weeks, PLO, right? Uh, Phoenix Ladies Open. Uh, shortly after that, we're going to have. Um, uh, I, I run, so when I'm not filming an event, I'm running Cold Turkey, which you've heard me talk about. That's in its 17th year. We'll be running that right after th- the two days after Thanksgiving, uh, a C-tier that's about three-quarters sold out, plus we have the flex start. The weekend after that, Chainhawk Open, uh, now heading over to you know Gainesville. So I go to Phoenix and then Gainesville a few weeks later. And then we have Shelly Sharp, and then we have... Um, uh, Maricopa Open, and the next thing you know, it's like Malaysia, Thailand, Thailand, and then we start the Disco Pro Tour All-Stars. I think I have like legitimately one or maybe two weekends not currently scheduled in the next six months. So, Are you going anywhere this weekend? Oh, I got stuff to do. You, you'll see. I know you got stuff to do. I didn't know if you were going anywhere this weekend. <laughs> yeah. So it... Uh, there's yeah, there's not all, and and I will be the first. First of all, I'm not complaining, and second of all, um, some of these relationships and some of these events, like Chainhawk, which you know just kind of became a thing three, four years ago, uh, working with the the crew at Maricopa, doing the Shelly Sharp, all of those. Uh, I was in Florida for a few of those years. All of those have continued to just grow and thrive. That were off season off season events. And now they've become kind of staples within my year, and uh, I look forward to each and every one of them. So, um, and it was great to be in Vegas this last weekend. So, all right, let's. Um, I did get an update. Seth Muncie a few minutes ago said he's about ten minutes out from uh, being with us, and so he'll be joining us here very soon. And what a great conversation to have! Again, somebody talking about the off season and able to. Uh, maybe give us a little bit of insight. You see a lot of people asking questions, people talking about their off-season routine. I just saw uh, Albert Tom, for instance, just today, was answering questions on Latitude's page about what he's going to be working on in the off-season. And I think he he said something about uh, his putting. his touch. And, he said putting first. <laughs> he has to. And then I mean. his second one was you know touch and finesse with like his his long-range drives. Oh, and then nice. also even his medium-range drive. He kind of wanted to work on like his... Uh, somewhat of his a uh, uh, little bit on his approach game and it's and then it really made me reflect for a minute like could you imagine you had the year you did you can go to UDISC if you want even though you probably know the answers and you can see like right there I was gonna say in black and white but they've got fancy graphics in blue and yellow and all these other colors you could just look and be like yeah here's here's where I here's where I stack up against the field and here's where I think I failed and some of them are so painstakingly obvious, you you know, like an own Scoggins is just going to continue to practice putting to maintain where she is or try to. But then you look at some other players and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, yeah, you don't yeah. Th- I say you don't think that uh, like Antala is going to sit and work on a circle two putting, which he was at like twenty nine percent and the leaders are at thirty five or uh, or 40 percent there. You, you know, Greg Barsby. I'm looking at. I just happened to sort by circle two, and I'm scrolling down some of our bigger names that probably could use a little bit of yeah, help. Yeah, think, like think that. what like you know Gavin Babcock's you know 37 percent birdie percentage is great, but uh, how much he could uh, pop up if he was converting more from circle two? Because yeah. clearly we all know he's got all the distance in the world, but 
if he connects on a few more circle twos, you know, yeah. I mean, we could look at literally every stat and then kind of reflect and think about like, yeah, what's that going to take? Or, or sort, sort by OB rate. It should be a good. That's deal. a really hard thing to work on, though. OB no, rate. well, but, but it, it is and it's not. No, I think it is. I mean, if, you could uh, throw it, OB less. <laughs> yes, but it's. I would say then you're that, that's more course management to me. Things like, uh, well, of course, circle two <laughs> in regulation, OB rate. That's more working on. Course management is, I think, more on the mental side because we know all these guys have the skills to keep it in bounds. It's just a lot of times how aggressive you're being. Uh, you know, fairways hit could probably be worked on with your with you know more driving skills, but I think the OB rate is just that'd be a very tough skill to work on. Other than maybe being less aggressive, that would be uh, okay. A, well, that may, would, I, well, and then maybe less aggressive sometimes might be the answer to that is uh, more controlled drives, right? Yeah. You know, maybe maybe you're working on uh, something in that capacity. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting when you scroll and you look at uh, some of the stats. Again, you probably have a pretty good idea. You, I mean, yeah. th- think about it this way. Paige Pierce, for the longest time, knew exactly where she ranked with OBs. She was always one of the worst, and she knew it. And and like you said, that was relative to just overall how aggressive she was, but that's something that you could start to think about. So other things you could think about... <laughs> Disc golf strong. And with that, uh, wow, this guy just shows up, got a late invite, and still delivers. None other than Seth Muncy. He's going to join us right now. What's up, buddy? Hey, what's up, crew? So good to I see you, always, I always love it when a guest just shows up and their stuff works because we didn't get a chance to test. A lot of times <laughs> oh, we test yeah. with players beforehand, and we work with them for 10, 15 minutes. They can't get it running, but you you just show up. This and guy's roll. a pro. He's a pro. You know, a pro. This is not my. It's been a while since it's been um that I've been on Smashbox, but it's not my first. It's not my first rodeo with y'all. <laughs> it is not. Speaking of rodeos, first of all, happy Halloween! Thank you for joining us. Yes. Uh, yeah, how did your your girls enjoy val, uh, Halloween? Any anything and, and uh, what silly were, or crazy? What were they? What were they for Halloween? They, so Kaylee, my oldest. Uh, with strawberry shortcake and Layla, my 11 year old, she was a ghostbuster and, uh, they nailed it. Yes. And I was the frozen dad out there that was eating all the Reese's pieces and Reese's peanut butter cups. (laughs) And, uh, I, I, I told him, I said, you know, I I told Tiffany today, I was like, you know, I'm going to fast. Like I already had lunch and I'm like, I'm Mm -hmm. just going to say I'm fasting. And then, like, right away, as soon as my youngest daughter walks up and hands me a Reese's peanut butter cup, I was like, eh, I'll fast tomorrow. I'll fast tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just was trying to get through with no candy, and it just wasn't possible. Yeah, no, I mean, it's that's... Halloween, so you just got to go for it. I'm, su- I'm, I'm surprised girls still dress up as strawberry shortcake these days. That feels like such an old reference and just kind of a dated mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe there's a modern cartoon I don't for... know about. Yeah, something old school. Yeah, I don't know what her influence was on why she chose that, but yeah, no, but they killed it. Well, let, let's start there. I, as usual, we don't have an outline here or anything, but let's start there. Um, you know, you, of, of course, have always been so helpful to all of our pros and to everyone else that you know in terms of health, fitness, routines, diets, all of those things that, I, that I've largely ignored from you. But one of the things that you, you honestly, I, that I, is so refreshing is when you talk about people being on a routine and being on a mm-hmm. diet and and or changing up their lifestyle when it comes to sweets when it comes to indulging i feel like you've always had the exact same response 
in talking to people when someone says, well, hey, I'm doing all this stuff, but then, you know, Halloween rolls around once a year. What, what do you say to people when, when, when they feel perplexed about, you know, that uh, a break in the system? I mean, there is no break in the system. You know, there is no falling off the wagon, really. I mean, we can say that, but, you know, we're living life. Like, you got to live life. And when I found just over many, many years of my life and, and coaching others, be, even before disc golf, I didn't start coaching in disc golf. I started coaching way before that. So, you know, just regular general fitness people. And, and you know, the when they felt like they would uh, come up to a big ha- Halloween or – you know, a friend's birthday party or something, they would just feel so horrible about themselves. And it just did so, it, it was never a positive in their life. And, and so I've always been one that has talked about, you know, like it, we have, we have, we have our moments when we enjoy our, our, ourselves with, with whatever we're indulging in. And then we have our moments where we, you know, focus on our goals. And so I've always done it in moderation. I know we've talked about this, Terry, is like, you know, 80% of the week I, uh, I fast or I, I make healthier choices. 20% of the week I eat whatever I want, you know, and I think just life has just become too strict. It's like, oh, I want to lose a little bit of body fat or I want to do this. So that's like, well, you got to go on some extreme training and you got to go on some extreme nutrition. And then people are like, ah, maybe, maybe next year. And so it's just, it's just never good for anyone because it's never, it's never something you can actually, uh, you know, reach is, it's not something you can never start. And so that's never been my philosophy. And I, I feel good with, with how I coach it, how I live it myself. And, and, um, yeah. Yeah, I, and I think that's just so crucial because, like you said, it feels like such an extreme. And if people ha- feel whether it's guilty or whatever, and you've you've said like eat eat the damn ice cream. You're going out for a birthday party, you eat the ice cream. You're you're not going to gain ten pounds, and you're not going to erase everything you've done over the last two months because you had ice cream one night or whatever. And obviously, You'd be shocked there's... at how much ice cream I can put down, though, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, there's the moderation and so on and so forth, and you can't have you know a birthday party six nights a week but you know yeah when it happens just enjoy the moment enjoy what you're doing and and don't have that guilt and I, i've always just appreciated just that hearing that from someone uh you know as professional as yourself because i feel like that's an easy question or an, an often asked question is like well what do i do in this case it's like you've said it eat the cookie eat the yeah. ice cream or have the you know have some candy one night out of the you know the month because it's halloween like you're you not know, gonna you- yeah yeah, you don't know how many fitness conferences I've been to over over many many years. Where you know I'm I'm going out to dinner at a fitness conference somewhere, and I'm with people that you know what they put on social media and what they share in their newsletters and stuff is just like very strict. And it, you know, and then I'm sitting there as they're putting down an entire pizza, you know, and it's like <laughs> what they're telling other people, they feel like they have to live up to that image online, but they can't even do it themselves. And so I remember going to this fitness conference uh, back in like 2008 or nine. And it was a, uh, it was called meeting of the minds and it's out, it was out in um, Arizona. It was like three days long. And what it was, it was like all these amazing presenters and we would spend two hours listening to each presenter. We all stayed at the same hotel and they all had, they had catered breakfast, lunch and dinner for all of us. So we'd all like, so it was like, 
you don't get just get to listen to the presenters. You get to like hang out and have a beer with them and stuff, right? So there's this one uh, gentleman, Dr. John Berardi, and he started this uh, company called Precision Nutrition, and it's it's really big. And so John Berardi is like the guru in like nutrition and everything. So John is there, and we all get up, and there's this long line of food, and then there's this long dessert table. And everyone's like looking at John Berard. He was like, is he going to step near that dessert table? And as soon as, I mean, he walks over and grabs a bunch of dessert. And all of us were like, whew, okay, like, we're good. <laughs> we're good. Everyone raid the dessert table. No, uh, you know, it was just like, you know, he just understood. And that's why he's been so successful in what he does is that, you know, things in moderation. But if we feel bad about ourselves, whether it's nutrition, whether it's our mental you know, skills or mental state or whether it's our fitness, you know, whatever that means to anybody. Like if we feel good about ourselves and the progress we're making, the action steps that we're taking, uh, we're going to see much more benefit both in the short term and the long term. Uh Right now, there's a lot of players. We've been talking about how the offseason is essentially upon us for most people. And throughout the year, you hear players frequently talk about, you know, what they're doing in season versus what their offseason is going to look like. Mm -hmm. What? And so I've heard that from a number of players. But to you, if, if you were a disc golfer that was playing on the same, you know, routine as these guys week in and week out, what are some of the either ge generic or specific philosophies you'd start taking into a November 1st tomorrow if that was kind of your first official off-season day what are some of the types of things that you either are instructing or that you personally would be doing yeah well so for the players on tour and you know and it really even for anyone because it's a it's a long season I've been saying this for many years I'm sure I said this on your podcast years ago is the best thing about disc golf is you can play every day and the worst thing about disc golf is you can play every day, you know. Um, so we have a we have a volume uh, issue in our sport. Uh, we have a volume challenge. We have an intensity challenge. Uh, we have a variability challenge. I mean, we have so many challenges that we're out there just throwing all the time, and so the body doesn't get the rest that it needs, the rest that it deserves. And so it's starting out with just like do some recovery have some really focused recovery. Now there's active recovery and there's passive recovery. Passive recovery is like, I'm not doing anything. Sure. Like if that's what you need, do that, like do that for a week or so. Like, but active recovery is, you know, you're actively doing things. You're doing some soft tissue work. You're focusing on, you know, doing some gentle, good mobility work for areas like your upper back and your hips, things that you've just been stressing a lot. Uh, you know, like say for the players on tour, they've been, sitting and and i've been on tour you know for years but the last three years you know working full-time for the tour uh you know traveling full-time to every tournament and i mean you're you're sitting in that car you're sitting in that rv <laughs> a lot and uh so doing some gentle mobility work for that upper back and those hips and those ankles and then just things that feel good right now like there's going to be time uh coming up soon for things that really challenge you but i always just tell them like start start with some decompression from mm. the season so like if people at home and they're you know they've been playing all season long and now it's starting to get colder and i know really that the season doesn't stop for many ams like there's a lot years ago the season didn't stop for most pros now it's starting to stop or at least slow down significantly for for most of the pros on tour they're starting to 
really be like, okay, I need, I need a little bit of time. And there's still some that I talk to. They're like, oh, I got like six, seven more tournaments before <laughs> Thanksgiving. I'm like, that's crazy. Um, but, uh, so that's, that's what I would start with right there is just some recovery, some active recovery, go for some walks, uh, you know, and then start moving into the essentials of like over an off season, we build a base. So we start with some core work some get some core activation, some planks and some side planks and some shoulder stability work and some hip stability work. So it's not go in the gym, start doing kettlebell swing, start doing some, you know, crazy advanced exercises, start simple, start things you can, uh, you know, you can implement right away. Um, so I can dive down deep rabbit holes of, of <laughs> exercise and training and stuff. So I'll keep it there and then, and then, you know, go from your prompts on, uh, on where to go next. Also, is, is this like fighting work? Is this a fighting shirt? I just want to make sure it's not. No, no not at I all. mean, we, we love those okay. guys. I mean, we've, we've, okay, yeah, I, I <laughs> it's not like a Vikings shirt or, you know, anything oh, yeah. like that. You're, you're, I we love our Minnesota that. Frisbee brethren. Yeah. And the fact that okay. the MFA was, it was such an impactful and powerful, you know, organization. Is it 40 or 50 years they're celebrating? I think it's 40 next year. That would make sense. It might so. be 50 even though. Yeah. Yeah, they've been around yeah. for a long time, um, and uh, or they're going to be soon celebrating. A, it might even be their fiftieth in in twenty twenty four twenty five. So, uh, yeah, good good people. We we have a lot of love for Illinois. Uh, excuse me, I was, <laughs> Illinois. Whoa. A lot of love for Minnesota, <laughs> Illinois. That would be a, a different story. There's there's a little more of a oh, okay. rivalry uh, when it comes to them. But MFA, yeah. all good stuff. Um, okay. So these players. Um, is there a point where well let, let's let's back up for one quick second i think if two players in particular and i i think this is common knowledge so i don't mind calling them out by name i hope they don't mind uh page pierce for instance has talked about for so many years not not having cruise control and and what it's been like driving a van or a vehicle around and just like you said those long drives and what that can mean on your on your hips or just on your positioning, especially without crews. And then I think of like a, a, a Kyle um, uh, that we saw Kyle this year really struggle uh, with his back and, and hearing that again, some of these long drives and these, you know, people think, Oh, you're in a car. What are you complaining about? Eight, 10, 12 hours in a, in a big vehicle. And if, even if you're taking occasional rest breaks, that's not exactly an easy task. And then even if you're not doing that, that means you're flying everywhere. And that isn't necessarily comfortable either. So mm-hmm. dare I ask is, is, is there, what is the best solution? What's the best way to combat some of this? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, like sitting, it's like, Oh, well I'm just sitting, but you know, sitting is not sitting's a nat like it's a human position that we should be able to get in. But it was over time. Uh, it's not a, like a human movement thing. Like humans are made to do like human movement things and just sitting and especially sitting in one position for that long um, while you're engaging, you're engaging some muscles to, you know, gas break, things like that. That's just not something that our bodies were naturally designed to do. And so to do it at any point, but even to do it for long, long stretches is, it's tough. It's tough on the body there. You know, we think about truckers, we think lots of people that just spend a lot of time there. 
Terry, I think well, you probably travel like 70,000 miles a year in an airplane. So, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a lot, a lot of sitting. So what do we do to combat it? One thing I've, you know, talked with players about is, and not with each player individually, I'll just, you know, talk to players that have had some issues or, you know, when, when they want to talk about these kind of things, I don't just walk up to players and say, hi, I need to talk to you. You know, like we, <laughs> sure. we need to have a conversation. Uh, so but is is getting up is like taking taking those rest breaks and using that time that are, are already kind of just going to happen as you're driving long distances. You need to get out to use the restroom. You need to get out to grab some food. You need to get out to you know fill up your tank. And so taking some taking uh, advantage of those times, those periods to get some activation of your muscles. So I've had players where I have them do standing planks where they just like stand up nice and tall and they brace their abs like they're bracing for a punch, squeeze their glutes like they're pinching cord between their cheeks, grab all their, just like engage all their muscles and do that for like 10 seconds. It's a standing plank, do some hip circles, some leg swings, some upper back movement. So while the gas is filling up, you know, while the, Mm -hmm. while you're waiting, you know, for your food, things like that, you know? And so we can't get away right now from the movement. We can't get away from the travel. I know that, you know, things are trying to, they are evolving to, to have not as big stretches as we, as we've had in the past, but you just got to look for those little windows of time. Look for those little windows of time that you can start getting your body moving. What are, you know, as you move into the, you know, you're saying not necessarily to jump right into a bunch of, you know, advanced techniques and things, but what are some of the players coming to you and talking to you about with regard to their off season? And, and, you know, is it very individualized for every single player or do you kind of have some blanket general ideas for how they should be going about it? it yeah. yeah. How do you break that down? Yeah. Great question. So for any athlete, you want to have a good foundational base. And that's, and that's not just like a pro athlete, like that, an amateur athlete, which, you know, I've been saying this since, since Disc Golf Strong's inception is like calling all disc golfers athletes, like, hey, athlete, mm-hmm. hey, disc golf athlete, because no matter who we are, no matter what division we play, how long we're playing, we're doing an athletic movement, our, the, the sport demands us of it, uh, you know, and so uh, getting that foundational base. So it's like we're working on core stability, we're working on hip stability, we're working on shoulder stability. Like when I throw, when it, when any athlete disc golfer throws, let's just say the shoulder. The shoulder wants to; it, it's the most mobile joint in the body, and that's a great thing. But it's also a really challenging thing when you're trying to throw your arm out of your socket, you know, constantly throughout the week. And so it's like we need a lot of stability in that shoulder joint. So it's not necessarily super advanced stuff. It's and and it's not even if it's a top level pro, uh, you know, the the foundational human movements and the movement patterns that our body needs, we do them. So one thing I do with players, and this is one misconception I think that just happens just naturally in in sports and when you think about professional athletes, is that um, they think that professional athletes do like the professional movements and like the, the cool, the crazy stuff, the stuff you see on, you know, Instagram, you know, things like that. But that's not true. Like it, my background is, is, you know, I've, I've had the 
a great opportunity. It, it's a, a privilege that I've, I've had to work with some top level strength and conditioning coach and then call some, you know, some of them, my friends that, you know, work in the NHL. I worked for a professional hockey team as an intern strength coach. And when I got there, I thought they were going to be doing the craziest moves. I'm like, these are NHL players. We're going to be doing all sorts of advanced stuff. And we weren't, we were doing the foundational stuff. We we're doing planks, side planks, dead bugs, bird dogs, half kneeling work, um, some kettlebell presses, like nothing crazy. One, because that's what they needed. Um, and two, like our job wasn't to try to impress them off the ice. Our job was to do the stuff that was necessary so that they could impress everyone on the ice. And so we didn't do the crazy stuff. Uh, and uh, so the people see my stuff online, like, what? where's all the crazy stuff? Um, I've been telling all the players for years, like, you need to earn intensity. You need to earn complexity. You need to earn, you know, volume. Like, you need to earn all this stuff. And so I, that's what I encourage for the, the general disc golf athlete at home too, is like, don't worry about doing all the crazy stuff. Worry about doing the stuff that's going to make the biggest impact. And so, um, cause there's also risk versus reward. Like if I have, you know, a player doing some sort of crazy exercise and he gets injured, you know, and now the, now he, his, his or her season is over or, they've lost now this big contract. I'm like, yeah, but look how many likes we got on social media. Like, doesn't that mean something? Like, like, like is that not, is that not valuable? Um, yeah. I, so, yeah, I think I, I think I saw one football player was maybe it was in the off season. He was, you know, one foot balancing on one of the, uh, one of the half, half balls while someone throws different sized balls at him and he's catching them with like one hand. And then it was like, Oh, I can do it blindfolded. And, and he would just tell him like right hand, left hand. And it was, it was kind of those type of ridiculous workouts that they show their hand eye coordination and, and their balance. But all I kept thinking is, you know, the wrong move and you're going to blow out your knee. <laughs> that That's that, you know, you never, and, and I, not to put any coaches coach down, they all have their own methods and their reasoning, uh, you know, hopefully of why they do things. Um, and why they make certain decisions, but you never see, it's hard. It's, it's rare. You see those videos and then you're like, Oh, that coach is the coach of the Chicago bears or that coach is the coach of whatever, you know, like it's, it's usually not them because they're like, yeah, we're doing the stuff that works and we're not doing the stuff that's going to risk. I, I've, I had someone one time ask me, he showed me a video of him doing a, uh, a jump. Uh, onto a big box, onto like a BOSU ball, which is like the half yeah. ball, yep. like inflatable ball, right? And landing on a single leg. And he was like, what do you think? Do you think this would be good for disc golf? And I'm like, first, that's impressive. Thanks for showing me. Like, that's cool. <laughs> you know, you did that. <laughs> but but no, I would never do that. And he's like, why not? You know, there's a lot of, a lot of good that comes out of that. And I was like, you know, my job, my job as a coach is to be uh, like a commercial airline pilot. Like a commercial airline pilot can go into an air show and watch an acrobatic pilot fly their plane upside down, stall in midair, do all sorts of crazy stuff. And they can clap and scream and be like, oh, that, that's amazing. They would never do that in their plane, right? Different goals. Like both pilots, different goals. Like everyone claps when you, you know, get to the uh, – when you get on ground on time or early with the fewest <laughs> bumps possible. Everyone's like, yeah. this is the best pilot in the world, you know? Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's like – that's my goal as a coach is to go, what, what path are we going? 
what's the most efficient way to get there, what's going to be the least risky, have the least amount of turbulence, and, and make sure that we arrive on time. And so that's where I, that's where my philosophy comes from. Well, I mean, I think there's an analogy there too with in terms of the basics. You talked about not doing the crazy stuff or worrying about the super advanced stuff. You could directly apply that to your disc golf practicing. Like, mm-hmm. man, I really want to be able to make all these circle two putts. I'm, you know, I'm really going to dial in from from sixty sixty two feet. You know, that's just going to be a, a spot I'm going to work hard on, and I'm going to try and throw you know six hundred feet. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. first of all. Make all your damn twenty footers, right? Like, mm-hmm. get the like, legitimately get the basics. You probably down. have less sixty footers than you do twenty footers, and so <laughs> yes. if, even if you hit every yes. sixty footer, that's two strokes you've gained maybe on a round, as exactly. opposed to hitting every thirty footer where you've now <laughs> you've, that's five strokes. Yeah, so <laughs> get all the basics down. Make everything from twenty to twenty five and in. So get those basics down, and before you're worried about throwing six hundred and fifty feet that may go anywhere, how about you throw four hundred feet wherever you want? Like, let, again, yeah. like, it's just, it's the same exact thing about, like, let's get the basics nailed first. And, like, I can let's... throw 400 feet wherever I want. Because I throw well, 350. Yeah, not whenever yeah. you want, though. I throw 350 or 300, then I lay up to 100 feet. That's yeah, easy. Like, that's... it just takes me two yeah, shots yeah, yeah. to get there. So there, yeah, there is, you, I, yeah. We have a philosophy that I, I preach at, at Disc Golf Strong, which is, is throw putters first. And I'm like, it's, you know, it's the analogy, the philosophy of throwing putters first, where like you go to any pro, uh, you know, and if they, if someone walked up to them with a, you know, 12 speed driver in their hand and said, Hey, I'm new to disc golf, you know, what, what, how should I throw this? They'd be like, well, let's get some putters in your hand. Let's throw, yeah. let's throw some putters first. Even if that's not how they learned at this point, they would be like, that's a better way to learn than just throwing high speed stuff and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. One of the challenges of our sport um is uh that we can get good really fast and we can play a lot we can get good really fast right it's like oh what is this oh a frisbee oh it's called discs it's called it's called disc golf six months later it's like oh i might go mpo you know it's like (laughs) and 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 the thing is and even if they don't they think that they can get there and while the while that's while that's cool you know, while that, that that is a nice feature of our sport, it's also a challenging feature of our sport because, you know, you would never go to like a major league baseball player and say, hey, you guys ever do like, you know, uh, the fundamentals? And I'm like, I've, I've been doing the fundamentals since I was like six. You know, like, they, you know, I, I remember going to a Yankees-Angels uh, playoff game one time and I was watching uh, Derek Jeter and uh, A-Rod uh, and out there and they were t- taking ground balls. And they were throwing them to first and they were things they've been doing since they were like six years old. And that was part of their warm. I mean, it was the fundamentals. It was the fundamentals. They weren't just out there trying to hit home runs the whole time during batting practice, you know, warming up for the game. And so the more like we try to, we tend to sh- push away the basics and we tend to uh, uh, think negatively of the basics. Like, Oh, well that like, that's what like beginners do, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, and, and it's like, you know, you've been playing disc golf for six months. Like, you know, you, you like do the basics, drill the basics, drill the basics. Like, and that's good. Like we want that. And we want, you know, Bruce Lee was brilliant at the basics. That's why he was so good, you know, and, and, and what he did. And I've, I've been saying this for a long time is everyone wants to, 
I got to add more people to the list now, but I used to back in the day be like, everyone wants to do what Paul, Ricky and Eagle do, but very few people want to do what Paul, Ricky and Eagle do. And, you know, and I would say that because you'll be like, Oh, what is Ricky doing? What is Paul doing? What are Eagle doing? And there was others on that list. I would just, you know, say those three, but it was like, they're out there. They're drilling the fundamentals. They're doing, getting really good at the things that they know that they need, uh, you know, to win. They're not just going and emptying their bag all day, you know, and this is not a, you know, it's not putting down anyone that, that does that. It's just, we gotta, we gotta make sure that we're doing, we're going the smart path, you know, yeah. to success, smart yeah. path. And, and I'll say, yeah, go ahead. No, all I was going it, to, it's a side note that if you're not taking those ground balls, you know, if you're, if Derek Jeter and A-Rod, like you're not dating Mariah Carey. I mean, there's, there's a clear, <laughs> there's a clear path here, folks. And if yeah, you want yeah. some of that crazy, you've got to be on the right path. Oh, okay. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. One last thing to say this is I was talking to a player uh, um, years ago who sent me some videos of him throwing and. And he was an up and comer. He's a really good player now. And he was, he's like, Seth, I want to hit 500 feet. Like, what am I doing? Like, look at my form. Like, why can I not hit 500 feet? And I'm like, I'm trying to make sure I don't say his name. I said, you got to earn 500 feet. Like, yeah, you may be able to hit 500 feet once or twice, but you don't want to hit 500 feet. You want to earn 500 feet. Because if you earn 500 feet, you walk that path to get there, and now 500 feet's in your bag. It's not just something that you're going to hopefully put your hand in your bag and pull 500 feet out. No, you have 500 feet because you earned it. You did the strength training. You did all the other stuff that you needed to do to get there, and now 500 feet is in your bag. It's not in your magic bag that you're reaching in there trying to hopefully pull out. Yeah, it's that consistency and – the fundamentals and, and it's kind of similar when you just said, uh, you know, going out with a putter, mm-hmm. you, after every world championship, I can't, I can't even recall how many world champions when you ask them, Hey, what was the key to your success or what worked well? They'd always be like, yeah, I putted, I putted for the last month. I, I put extra putting in, in the last week or whatever mm-hmm. that time frame was. Some of them were naturally already talented and gifted in the putting department, but then they put that extra emphasis on. And th- that's what they did is they went out and did extra work in terms of their putting. And and we say the same thing mm-hmm. when someone it, for a lot of people, it feels very unsexy. And I, I just said it to someone this weekend. I didn't go out to the field and throw a ton, although we tell everyone else. So just like you're saying, that's one of the basics. You have to go to the field. You have to pick points. You have to go to you know go to a football field or, uh, or a, a baseball diamond is great as well, or a soccer field or whatever, things that have these marks on them. And practice different skills with those. And it might mm. feel boring or 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 you know not exciting or or i guess that's another word for boring it is just yeah yeah it it can be but you still have to do it yeah and that's that's where you're going to learn so much if you if you want to excel yeah so Mm -hmm. you you wear a lot of hats in our industry Mm -hmm. like not just your disc Mm -hmm. golf strong hat um you also work Mm -hmm. with the pdga Uh, are you on the medical committee are you more of are you more of a consultant for the medical committee uh i chair it you chair the medical committee as well as working with the Disc Golf Pro Tour on, mm-hmm. you know, f- for what is your position with the Disc Golf Pro Tour exactly? My official title is Director of Health, Safety, and Sports Performance. Health, Safety, and Sports. 
performance. I I get to listen in on the the Thursday calls, and you're always. I mean, you're mm-hmm. very every. I think you're you're usually one of the last people to speak. You're always talking mm-hmm. about making sure everyone takes on the team, not just the players, but the team takes mm-hmm. care of themselves. Our guys that do these long mm-hmm. hauls for the course, get out, stretch, do do you know, do the things. But then you also get to safety, which is mm-hmm. a lot of our our weather. You know, our weather delays. We've had mm-hmm. a, we've had a, we had I don't want to say a ton of them, but it felt like early in the season they they tended to creep up. Where does your experience come from in? that avenue is that something you had to learn is that something you've you worked with people because i i don't think you're a meteorologist i'm not sure though he's he's <laughs> he's got his degree uh, uh, almost got, got his degree by now but go ahead feel, and what I are the tools like, that you yeah. use to do those things explain that for everyone yeah i feel like a meteorologist sometimes uh yeah so on site as the safety director i'm doing emergency action planning leading up to the tournament uh in the weeks and months leading up working with the the local committee, the local crew to, you know, make sure we're doing course hazard mitigation, make sure that we're, we've got emergency action plans in place. So in the event that there's severe weather, if we're in areas where there's, you know, potential tornadoes that could happen, things like that, where are the shelters? How are we getting people there? Um, how are we evacuating the course? How are we, you know, where are the closest hospital? Where's the closest ambulances? Um, where's the, the best paths on and off the course? So I'm also the on-site emergency medical responder. So if there's a any sort of medical emergency on-site, I'm the first one to go out there and have an AED and a medical bag and stuff. And so there's a lot that goes in on the safety side as well. And yeah, uh, weather is definitely one of them. That that's uh, my responsibility. Um, it's something I don't I don't take lightly. I, I'm very much you know involved heavily in not only the the learning of weather. I study weather patterns all the time now. Um, I, I don't just watch like Ryan Hall, y'all on YouTube. I watch, you know, I'm studying <laughs> meteorology. I'm studying weather patterns. I'm studying how tornadoes form. Um, I'm, I, 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 my background before, uh, before disc golf was I started out, uh, working in the coast guard. I went in 99 Joined the Coast Guard, and I was in uh, San Francisco, San Francisco, as a doing search and rescue in federal law enforcement. So I was there from '99 to '03, uh, doing doing that job. So my whole my whole world was search and rescue. My whole world was law enforcement. Was critical decision making in the moment. Things are happening. Boats taking on water. Something we've got to make decisions fast. So that that you know is. That experience is something that has helped me in my role today of things are happening, things are changing fast, things need decisions need to be made. After that, I spent about six years working on an ambulance, doing 911 calls and working as a part-time firefighter. So similar experience, just in the moment, incident command, things are happening. Everyone, you know, we've got to get lots of pieces involved, you know, lots of high stress. And so I really... I really lean on that experience, but I don't just lean on that experience in the fact that if my job is weather, right? It, like it's weather is one thing, but weather, the, the actual weather that's coming in, like that's a very small piece of it. Like the, the bigger part is the, are we getting the emergency action plan in place? Are we getting people off the course? Where's the shelters? You know, what what's happening through that whole process, both in the planning, in the implementation and in the after 
after action steps. So that's where I really lean heavily on my decade of experience doing that. Um, and so I have a meteorologist that's on staff as well that I brought on this past year. Um, Austin has been great. And so I, I lean on him as well. And it's great that, you know, I, since I study, like I study meteorology and I study all this stuff because, you know, like it, on an ambulance, like it didn't, it wasn't going to be enough if I just thought it was really cool to be working in an ambulance. Like I had to study and, and really drill down what would happen in this situation? What would happen in this situation? How would I handle these kind of things? You know, you, you, you get your confidence level goes up without being cocky at all. Like you can't, like that's how people get injured on, you know, and those kind of things. So it's, but you have to always have a really good grasp of what's going on. So that's what I try to, always make sure I'm doing with the weather is I'm trying to study it, but it's all that other stuff. So now I have the meteorologist, Austin, who, you know, we're talking all the time. Uh, we're connecting. He's giving me some uh, updates of what he's seeing. I'm looking at the weather reports and kind of calculating everything in my head of like, how fast is the storm coming in? What is the storm prediction center? What have they uh, you know, in the days leading up, what have they kind of predicted for our area for, thunderstorms for severe weather for tornado risk things like that um yeah and so so it's a it's a it's a process it's you know i as i tell the players on, on the ground and you know i'm not some suit up in new york that's just pushing a button you know uh i'm out there i'm with them i don't want them to stop play that's the last thing i want but i'm always going to choose the health and safety uh life safety of of everyone first and so that is that's that's, you know, my, my main focus. Um, yeah. Where do, where do you want to go from there? I can, well, I, I, can talk I was just going to say what I take away that is that is from the internet. I was told that you don't know anything I knew this was coming. and that um, <laughs> really you're just not, you just, it's just a major, major ego trip for you to be pulling yeah. people off courses. Cause <laughs> not only is that beyond, of course, ridiculous and stupid, arguably one of the dumbest things I read this entire year, if I'm being honest. Like when I think back on 2023, some of the comments, which are always a doozy, uh, someone said, I think Seth has an ego problem. I don't even know if they called you up by name because yeah. they didn't even know because they are not weren't smart enough. And all I kept thinking is, A, that's obviously the furthest thing from the truth of you having any kind of ego problem or feeding an ego. But secondly, n- no, nobody on the planet wants our events and weekends to to go longer to stretch like the camera crews the the people in the control room the on-site volunteers the on like you the The players the spectators nobody nobody (laughs) wants to turn 12 and 14 hour days into 16 or 18 hours like Nobody yeah. on the planet is benefiting uh, personally outside of their safety is benefiting by us making everything take longer. And yeah. so the, for a multitude of reasons, that's obviously with such a, you know, but as we've seen more of these weather delays and maybe even additional precautions, it also then comes with additional scrutiny. And and I think specifically mm-hmm. of one, and I and I know you, there are certain terms and obligations you have with the pro tour about being able to dis- discuss every you know maybe some situations. But one of the wilder situations this year was, of course, getting pulled off the course at Maple Hill for wind, and mm-hmm. and that you know, truth be told, all three of us have been in disc golf for quite some time, and there was a lot of scrutiny over that. 
<laughs> by some smart and not so smart people, but there was a lot of scrutiny mm-hmm. over that. And and let's just call it what it is. It was incredibly unique. Like that's mm-hmm. that's just really for most of us has rarely, if if maybe even never happened or even heard of. Do you feel like that was so extreme that we may never see it again? Or do you feel like that was you and, and the pro tour kind of also maybe not taking safety even, even more seriously than ever before? Or, I mean, you've always taken it seriously, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like, are we even more cautionary than ever before for, for a number of reasons? Can you pinpoint any of that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, uh, um, every single decision is hard. Um, you know, and I've one thing I've told uh, one of my crew, they were asking about it. You know, they're like, oh, man, you know, people, the people, things people are saying online. I said, you know, I, I, I just can't think about that when I'm when I'm doing this or else I'll always make the wrong call. You know, if I mm-hmm. if I ever think, oh, what are they going to say about, you know, this or what's the backlash going to be? I'm always going to you know, make the wrong call. And that's, that's like our number one goal is to make sure that everyone is as safe as possible and that, you know, everyone goes home. And the thing with safety, the challenging thing with safety. And, you know, again, like this ain't, this is, you know, I've, uh, you know, I could someone, some could say fortunate, but some could say unfortunate the experience of being around a lot of people's, you know, worst, worst moments in their last, their last days. And so in, in my line of work before disc golf. And so, you know, you, you, when you see that, you really take it to heart, what, what things can happen. People never think about or not, not people, I don't want to generalize everyone, but many people don't think about what could happen at any moment in their life. And that's a good thing. We don't want to walk around just completely scared of, you know, never making it through the next moment. But everyone that I ran calls on, on an ambulance or on the, on the coast guard, like they never, they never imagined that what was going to happen in that moment was going to happen. Like, you know, and so it relies on us, like anyone on, on site at an event, uh, they put their trust in us that we're going to keep them as safe as possible. Right now, is there risk? There's always risk, right? We're not trying we're not trying to get rid and remove all risk. There's just a level of risk that we all assume just doing anything, right? And so if we were trying to uh, to minimize all risk, make risk zero, we, would, we wouldn't do any disc golf in the woods or, or, you know, in most areas. But when that level of risk gets to a, le- to a level that we're not comfortable with, then we have to we have to go down the path of making the calls and making the tough decisions that are, you know are not going to be uh, you know they're not going to always be well you know well recepted um, but we have to do what we have to do so in a case like in a case like uh, Maple Hill you know it wasn't necessarily the wind it was what's the what are the what are the trees doing what's that old mm-hmm. forest doing at that, at that, you know, level of wind. And so like heavy winds in Emporia, I mean, that's like a Tuesday, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Today, right? So, uh, it, it, in, in Massachusetts at Maple Hill, where the, the old growth forest like that, 
when the trees started, when the wind started to get to a level and the gusts started to get to a level where we were seeing trees and some branches started to fall out. It's not like, Hey, there's a branch that fell blow the horn. Just, <laughs> you know, we can't do that. It's okay. We knew that wind was forecasted. If I, if I blew the horn and didn't even allow the tournament to start in the morning because I knew that the wind was going to come up that day, like, you know, that, that would be really out there. You know, a lot of people would really, you know, be criticizing that. And, um, and so we waited to see how's the, how's the forest going to react to the wind and, and the forecast as it's, as it is uh, set throughout the day. So we walk out there and I do a, do a survey. I do a, you know, evaluation of the wind. I'm looking up high. I'm looking at, you know, what are the tops of the trees are doing? Not necessarily because we got some, you know, some good elevation change with the hills there. So you may be in certain areas where you don't feel the wind, but that doesn't mean that it's not pushing the tops of those trees and really stressing them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we have to make the call that we feel is going to be the safest uh, in the moment um, for everyone. Now, again, we're not trying to stop all wind uh, and stop playing all wind. And so when we felt it got to a level where we were like, it's, there's still wind, but it's at a level of risk that all of us are willing to assume. Then we, you know, make that decision to restart play. And, and it's not, it's, again, it's not easy. Um, it's not something that anyone, myself, you know, definitely cherishes is, you know, I, I accept that responsibility. That is my role and I want to do it the best I can and make the best calls I can. And I do that through the pre-planning, through the education, through, you know, the implementing the policies, you know, having those policies, working with the meteorologist, um, incident command, things like that. And so that's where, you know, where hopefully we don't see that again. Uh, you know, I, I definitely don't want to, but we'll be prepared for it, you know, if it does, if it does come. Well, and we, we've seen things like that. We saw that a couple of years ago at USCGC when the hurricane, we were catching that, uh, clipping the edge of the hurricane. There was a large branch, I believe it was on hole four that had fallen, um, where they actually ended up just calling the event. Uh, three rounds in mm-hmm. or four rounds in. Maybe was that, was that a five round? No, it was three rounds. Was three and round. That's okay. how Coling. I couldn't remember. Managed it. to win that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I couldn't remember if it was a three and got cut yeah. down to four. But so I mean, it's it's not unheard of, and it's something we obviously need to keep keep track of and 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 monitor because some of our that that particular time of the year for USDGC and Maple Hill, it's hurricane season. I mean, you're catching. Mm-hmm. It's not uncommon to catch some of those, you know, late season hurricanes yeah. that come up right up the coast. So, and both of those events, obviously, yeah. relatively close to the coast. So, the other situation that we saw, and we saw somebody on the board mention it, a, a tough, difficult situation was the cameraman that Eagle, uh, unfortunately, brained. <laughs> um, his Halloween costume was apparently a disc in a hat, which was on social media. So I saw that, yeah. half a disc, which good, good on him for having a sense of humor about it. How do you, how do you prepare for something like that? And do, would you think that is the most difficult situation you ran into all year or maybe even so far in your career on the disc golf pro tour? Uh, the actual injury yeah. or just or like just- in general, an incident. The incident or injury, particularly on the pro tour. I know clearly in your life before this, this situation isn't probably even in the, doesn't even probably rank in the top 20 
unfortunately, but uh, for the pro tour, I would say. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's probably not the worst call I've had on site at a at a disc golf event for sure. Um, it's it appeared to be the worst because the head bleeds um, mm-hmm. pretty well, and so and 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 it definitely did not. You know, it was not a. It was a. It, it hurt for sure, um, but you know, I would say that you know to prepare for things like that. We're always learning. We're always growing. You know, we're a growing sport. New policies, new things happen. We're we're trying to be as forward thinking as we can. Um, you know, and then sometimes things happen like that where it's like, okay, now let's let's look at this next step of like you know headwear. You know, for for cameras or camera uh, operators. So, um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunately not the, the, the worst thing that I've seen on, on the road in over the years, but, uh, definitely not a, not a fun event for, for him or for anyone involved. And I'm glad that, uh, and I, I know everyone involved, Eagle, him, like the cameraman, I was glad, glad that it, that it turned out to be, uh, in the end, not as gruesome as it could have been. I mean, because, you know, I got hit in the ear years ago, uh, right, just right here at Huntington Beach, um, uh, in a disc golf course. And it blacked me out for a second. Like I was just walking. I just happened to be walking with these two huge gym bros that I just met. I just met at the course, like a whole one. And they're like, Hey, you want to play in? I was like, yeah, sure. And we're, we're walking next thing. I like I'm walking with them a couple holes later. Next thing I know, I just feel like someone just bam hit me right in the ear and everything went black. I fell down. And then I like came to, to these guys, like looking around, yelling and cursing, like who threw that? Ah!" Like they were ready to like, just like (laughs) kill whoever like hit me. And so I'm trying to calm them down. And I'm like, guys, guys, it's okay. It's okay. Because they just wanted to pulverize whoever (laughs) didn't yell for and just hit me upside the head. And so it's just, you know, those kind of things can unfortunately happen with, with injury. So we can't, we can't stop all of them. We're there to, we're there when they do happen. You know, I'm like I said, I'm on site. I, I, you know, to, to respond. Um, and we just, we try to look at ways that we can implement policies and just SOPs in the future for camera people, for, you know, our, our crew is amazing. Like our, our operations crew, they, you know, everyone's learning in this sport, like everything is growing all at the same time. And so having spectators on site and having lots of spectators and getting them moved around, our operations team does a great job of moving a lot of people through the woods, through different areas. Now, you know, with, with they're using the, the rope and the, you know, things to be able to channel spectators away. So we're trying to limit the, the risk of that happening limit it. We can't stop things like that happening, but you know, definitely limit it. So, you know, we just a big shout out to our crew for that. Um, yeah. Uh, I hope you were at Huntington beach. So I hope Macbeth at least came up and apologized after hitting you. <laughs> I, 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 I know. I think I've told him about him. that. <laughs> uh, I know <laughs> probably, I know. I think I've told him about that. And, and yeah, I don't think it was him, but I could uh, say it was him for sure. Yeah, I should okay, say, okay. I mean, you were blacked out. You may not, you may not know. So, uh, <laughs> I know. 
you, you know, I know you, uh, of course, accolades to the crew, and, and there are so many people that are, are there, literally sun up to sundown. Uh, you know, so many of the operations, the media crew, and everyone in between, and along with the local volunteers, you're, you're there to warm up usually FPO players sometimes six thirty seven a.m. or earlier and you're there until there's post-round recovery and cool-down exercises and everything else after the last players uh just kind of mm-hmm. what, what does that mean for a, a a day for you and and sometimes you don't even get to see the course right because uh, you're you're doing other stuff what's what's that like for you yeah i usually don't see the course during the tournament um i'm out there prior to the tournament um to do course hazard walkthroughs, course mitigation, things like that, um, emergency action planning. But during the tournament, I'm very rarely on the course these days. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm out there. I try to get out there, make sure that I'm out there an hour before the first FPO card tees off in the morning. Uh, you know, I think they deserve the time and, you know, and, and for me to be there to make sure that they get a proper warm up. Uh, and, you know, I'm not, and I'm saying, oh, it's too cold or it's too too early for me. No, like they're out there. I'm going to be out there for them. So I'm out there. And then, yeah, I, I, I'm out there until, yeah, the last card finishes. And then usually oh, quite a while after that. So my days are usually about 6 to 6.30 in the morning there on site. And I'm usually headed off there 7.30, 8 o'clock or later sometimes. You know, sometimes we'll have – We'll have parts of the stretches where I'm out there, out of there earlier, maybe five thirty or six, maybe six thirty. But uh, yeah, it's a long day, you know, and and we do it every day. And the like you said, the operations crew, they've you know they're out there, and so they're they're long days. And then we got to pack it up on Sunday nights and, and get it ready to go next, you know, for the next tournament on Monday. Um, but you know, we're excited. It's exciting to see the growth of the sport. It's exciting to see, you know the growth of, of what is happening on site for sure, you know, and, and our team just in general, but yeah, it's a, I, I, I've been doing before disc golf, before working for the disc golf pro tour, I was out there for disc golf strong. And, mm-hmm. you know, I always made that, you know, even if it was just, just didn't have a contract to do anything just out there for them. I always felt like they deserve that the FPO players, you know, to, to have somebody out there. So I pull up to Memorial be pitch black and be the only car pulling up and and you know that's just i feel as i build staff out and stuff we're just going to make sure that happens like they you know all all athletes deserve to have that um the ability to have a coach there to guide them so so we've talked a lot about players off seasons and and you know recovery what does your off season look like i mean you Mm -hmm. you so much of your time is spent in the moment on the disc golf pro tour that is, is this a, I don't want to say a mini vacation, but what do you, what is your November through February going to look like for Seth Muncy? Just eating Reese's. Just big it out on Reese's. <laughs> Just, I got so much of them stacked up now. <laughs> My kids at the jackpot tonight. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't stop for us, uh, in the off season because we have a, you know, we have a full stack of events to, to plan for and, uh, the events have to be planned for well in advance. And so we're working or I'm already working on emergency action plans for next year. I'm working on updating safety policies. I'm working on, you know, updating inclement weather stuff, just 
all different types of policies and procedures and planning for next year, um, what next year is going to look like for, you know, in, in so many different facets. Um, and so I say that same as for, you know, our operations, our media crew and stuff like that. So, uh, and then I'm doing off season, off season coaching, off season training for people, um, through pro tour and through disc golf strong. And so it's just a lot of, you know, face to face virtually with people getting on, helping them out, helping them guide and then doing, and then I just moved, uh, to, uh, Boise, Idaho, Meridian. It's right next to Boise. So, um, uh, and when I moved here, Sarah Hokum, who's from Caldwell, not far away, she made sure to school me on this, her and Carolina Halstead, that I needed to say Boise and not Boise. Because if I say Boise, that's that's a dead ringer that you're not from the area. <laughs> uh-huh. So you have to say it. Boise. 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 Yep. C. Like Boise. Boise. Like a Boise. The, yep. Okay. Yeah, no, no yeah, Z in there. Boise. Boise. Yeah. Boise. Yeah. Huh. So, so they said you have to. So I was practicing and stuff. So I, I think I've got okay. it now. So I moved to Boise, Idaho. And so it's been really exciting to be here and um, be in part of the club scene. I'm just starting. I just got off the road. And so, you know, even though my family's been here, I think I was home like 19 out of 97 days or something once we actually moved here in June. So uh, now it's starting to get into the local scene. There's putting leagues, there's winter series coming up. There's all sorts of things. So, you know, I don't get to play a lot of disc golf, even though I've been throwing a Frisbee since I was eight, you know, I'm 42 now. So it's been a while. I've, you know, been playing disc golf since 2012. Um, and, and I love disc golf, but, you know, you don't get to play as much disc golf as I'm sure you both. I know, but both of you know this very well. You don't get to play as much disc golf the more you work in disc golf. So I'm excited to be here and, and get in with the active scene, the local scene. I'm going out on Friday, this Friday, to help um, the Boise State University disc golf team uh, to speak to the to the crew there. Uh, they're getting ready to go down and play in the, the qualifier for nationals. And so they asked if I could come, and I'm excited to go down there. Tomorrow I'm going to go play catch. Uh, I posted on our local Facebook group, uh, Disc Golf Facebook group, hey, who wants to play catch? I've got some McConnies and some, <laughs> you know, uh, Condors and some Zephyrs and stuff. And I'm like, this is a good old-fashioned game of catch. So I'm excited to, to put some Frisbees in the air again. Uh, and, uh, and it's going to be fun. I thought maybe you just didn't have a basket, so you were hoping to find somebody that could throw, <laughs> somebody could throw it back to him. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't have a basket yeah. anymore. So yes, yes. One uh, one of the questions that's come in, and and this kind of has stretched out now, or has come to fruition, is maybe is a better way to word it. This year, there was not only a, a few events trimmed back, and we're seeing now the silver, the, you know, no silver events here, which of with them not being really offered, then. Clearly, there's even less of an obligation to be there. And we saw the tour compact in some ways. So where are we with trying to have a balance of how much is too much and how should golfers look to their schedule and when they should take off or can they take off? Like, what are some of the, you know, even high level conversations or concepts that you talk about with our players? Cause I know things like pitch count when you've talked about, you know, some analogies and throw counts, 
you know, comes to mind, but what are some of the conversations you have with people who are saying, Hey, you know, there's, you know, volume, like you called it. What, what do you, what do you talk about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, working, you know, in conversation with the players. Yeah. We talk about pitch counts. We've talked about, you know, I've talked about it for a long time with them of like, how can you make sure that you're, uh, that you're putting time in to active recovery, to rest, and you're being more intentional about the work that you're doing beforehand, uh, not just in like strength and conditioning and athletic preparation, but also in like your intentional field work practice, your intentional, uh, you know, practice rounds. Um, I think, you know, there was a phase, there was, there was a period uh, of what I would see out on the course uh, back in, you know, I've only, I started disc golf in 2016. So it's not, it's been a couple of years, but as you know, I didn't know what they were doing as far as preparation, you know, back in the day, you know, back when Terry was in, mm-hmm. in his prime. Um, and so we would, I would see players where there wasn't a huge focus on playing all throughout the week. And now there's a huge focus on playing throughout the week. I mean, it's just, pro, you know, money's getting bigger. Like everything's just, there's just so much, it's always been important, but now it's, it's important to, right? So um, they are putting more effort uh, into their practice where it was then for a period, it was like seven days a week of throwing. Like it was every single day and it was, okay, I'm going to go out and do, I'm going to practice, I'm going to do a practice round and I'm going to throw four to five off the tee at every mm-hmm. tee pad, Right. And then every approach, four to five, and then four to five putts. And then I'm going to probably go back and play another round later in the day after lunch. And that volume just, I mean, it just stacks up so mm-hmm. so quickly, right? And, I, you know, I, I would tell them, like, I, I use a lot of baseball analogies, a lot, of, especially a lot of baseball pitcher, because it's, it is closely related to what we're doing, just as much as, like, volume and intensity and everything, you know, velocity on the arm and and all the torque and stuff. And so like a a starting pitcher, the muscles that are used in the fashion and the way that they're used uh, and engaged on the, a pitcher's first pitch and their 30th pitch and their 50th pitch and their 60th pitch, like it's different because things are going to fatigue. And as the small muscles fatigue, it now requires like different activation of different muscles and so compensation is just going to naturally happen so when a when somebody's going out there and just putting a lot of reps in you're not getting a hot, lot of high quality reps in you're getting a lot of reps under extreme fatigue even if mentally you feel okay those small muscles are going to get fatigued those you know and so uh you're not going to get quality practice and so we're now seeing in more and more players starting to take like say Thursday off and they're being more intentional about their practice where I would tell, you know, I tell, you know, in, in conversations I have with players is you got to be very intentional out there on the course in the work that you're doing. Like, you know, I, there's players I've seen that they've been doing it for a long time where they'll go out and they'll only throw one or two off the tee, the ones that they are going to throw, not just throw to throw to throw, you know, uh, hey, I feel like I got to throw four or five. I would never throw these three, but I'm just, you know, feel like throwing them. I feel like getting more volume off the tee. Like, 
now be very intentional about that. Mm. And it's something I talk about on the amateur side as well, which is players is like, understand what your AOSs and your AOIs are. Your AOSs are your areas of strength and your AOIs are your areas of improvement. And so they're not weaknesses because you can always get better at them with deliberate intentional practice. Um, but if you really understand what your AOSs are and your AOIs, not in just your own game, but as they pertain to that course, now your field work's going to be more intentional. Your work out on the course is going to be more intentional because now it's not just a volume to get better game, right? More's not just, more's not better. More's just more in a lot of cases, right? And so it's, okay, like the, the, uh, the, Packers, when they're playing the Vikings, right, they're practicing throughout the whole week not to just play football for football's sake because mm. they're football players. They're practicing to play against the Vikings, to beat the Vikings, right? I mean, would you say, right? So, Well, uh, maybe last week they didn't. <laughs> they didn't practice yeah, that way, right. but they're trying to. You're right. <laughs> But they're intentional. They're looking. Yeah. The coaches are saying, "What are air, what are our areas of strength as it relates to the Vikings? What are our areas of improvement as it relates to their strengths? Right on all mm-hmm. aspects of the of the game. And so, what are we doing this week to get better against the skills that their quarterback has, mm-hmm. the skills that their cornerback has? Right. And so, the more intentional that we can get with that is, we look at a course and go, okay. What I'm playing Deglo, where I'm playing my local home course, like what are my areas of strength in my own game? And how does that relate to the tournament that I'm going to play coming up? Hopefully it's not just this weekend. You start thinking about that two, three weeks ahead of time. What are my areas of improvement that I need to work on? So let's say, okay, I'm playing a course where I know from past experience or watching coverage or whatever – that I'm I'm probably going to need some standstill forehand up shots 200 feet and in. And maybe I just go, you know what, I'm not really good at that. That's an area of improvement that I need to work on. So is my field work just me going out and emptying my bag? Or is my field work going, okay, in a one-hour session, 20% I'm sharpening my sword, my AOSs. The rest of the time, the 80%, I'm working my AOIs. I'm going to work on my standstill forehands. I'm going to pick out those specific discs as I think about the course, just like a football player, football team is thinking about how are we going to go against that quarterback or how are we going to stop that running back? What specific plays are we going to work on and drill this week that we didn't last week because they didn't have a running game last week, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like if I can get 10% better – because I'm working on my AOIs on my forehand approach shot, like 10% bet. I'm, that's that's more confidence that I'm going to have. Now, since I'm intentional about that, what goes down, hopefully naturally? My volume, yeah. right? Because I'm not sitting there just throwing for, for, for throwing sake. I'm actually going, okay, I'm going to be very intentional about those AOIs. And so I get more rest period. I'm not sitting there going, man, I just need to throw to throw to throw to throw. And the more I throw, the better I'm going to get. No, it's like, I'm going to be very intentional about what I'm doing as it relates to the tournament that I'm about to play. Confidence goes up, volume goes down, intensity goes down, 
recovery time goes up because now you don't have to sit there and feel like you're playing four practice rounds. So that's some of the, you know, some of the concepts and the, 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 the thought process behind how we can start to lower the volume while still the season is the season, whether you're a pro or an amateur, you're going to sign up for the things that you're going to sign up for, or you have to sign up for because you're a pro. And so it's a, how do I manage that other stuff? And by doing that, being more intentional about your things, like your, your, your work, your volume is going to get better. Now I, I know this is going to ultimately come down to truly every individual, but just very, generically speaking, when I tell you there's 18 elite events, and then we're going to have at least four majors, maybe one or two uh, exhibition-type uh, events as well, whether that's an All-Stars or a, a Funky Farms doubles or skins or, or, or whatever we've had. So 18 and 4, that's 22. Add two more, uh, you know, you're talking at least 24. Probably, and that, that's with no fun A tiers in your home state. That's with... With you know no other you know B tier that you've played the last nine years in a row and you want to make it the tenth, that's potentially twenty four and international travel, and countrywide travel, just just at face value. When I tell you twenty four weekends of three to four to five rounds, usually three or four, how does that number strike you? When when I say that that's that's our tour season in a nutshell twenty. 24 events averaging three and a half rounds. Mm -hmm. How does that volume should people be taking off? Like when you just hear that math, do you think, yep. Yeah. You every player should probably take at least two weekends off or is there a number? Yeah. I mean, I, I players should be looking at their schedule and looking at their volume and saying like, where, where, what events should I, am I going to prioritize and what events should, maybe it's an event that doesn't necessarily suit your game. And so you're like, that's the event I'm going to take off, you know, give me some recovery there. Uh, I think, you know, at the pro tour, we've always wanted to, you know, make sure that, you know, while it's a sport and while you're going out there and high volume is a thing, whether it's in soccer or football or, you know, um, baseball or whatever sport it is, volume and is going to be high intensity is going to be high, but how can, you know, we best support you through that. That's where I try to really do that at the athletic performance zone on site. Um, but you know, I always encourage, I've, I've had conversations with players where they're like, Hey man, I've just, I'm really feeling, you know, fatigued here. You know, how does, how does, what is, what is the upcoming schedule look like for you? And is there a way that you can, can work it to give yourself that break. And, you know, it's, a, it's always going to be an ongoing conversation. Um, I know Jeff, uh, you know, spring is always, you know, definitely player focused on wanting to, to always look at, okay, what are some ways that we can, you know, um, provide those, those weeks of rest while also having the season. There's a delicate balance there, you know, and, and that you're, you're always trying to, evolve too and you know we're we're always going to evolve um but the players have to definitely prioritize the volume that they're having that they're putting on their bodies um a a lot of it is going to be just you have to you have to have the volume and so that's that's also in the preparation too is just making sure that your bodies are excuse me that your bodies are able to 
should have all those uh, Reese's <coughs> peanut butter cups. <laughs> um, <laughs> the that your bodies are always, uh, you know, trying to you're you're trying to get your body to a point where it can handle uh, as much stress and load and have a higher tolerance level for sure. Um, but I think we're we're getting better. Uh, players are getting better. They're thinking more about the stuff that you know just wasn't prevalent in our in our sport back in the day, the recovery and the preparation and the volume control and all that. And so uh, there's a a lot of bright things ahead um, for sure. And I think we're going to look back, assuming that the sport continues to progress, I think we're going to look back in 10, 15 years and and be a little shocked at how much players play. And I think there's going to be more pro tour events. And I think there's going to be more players taking weeks off because uh, assume Mm -hmm. we have... 30 events in a year, a player is going to play 15 to 20 of those and take the rest off because they'll be able to afford to now, assuming that the progression goes the way it is now. And, Mm -hmm. and and as you know, you've heard me say a lot of times our courses are just getting longer. Players are just throwing harder. It's a different sport than it was for us 20 years ago when the average, when the average hole length was 300 to 350 feet. You know, and, and mm-hmm. we were, you know, we threw through, you know, woods. There wasn't a lot of open shots. It was more wooded golf. Now we're seeing more spectator friendly courses, which means longer holes, more open, harder throwing. You know, the players are putting more strain mm-hmm. on their body than they than we were twenty years ago. Even if we played as much, the 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 forces at which we played were not nearly the level of what they're doing today. So hopefully, like I said, the pro tour continues to expand and gives the players the opportunity to say, I don't need to play all. 25 events i can play 12 to 15 make the pro tour finale make myself a decent living and not have to you know grind away and and be constantly putting the strain on my body but we won't know yeah i mean there's a there's there's a reason why like the you know consecutive innings pitched and the consecutive games pitched records and stuff in baseball are never going to be broken (laughs) because there was a point in baseball where it was like you know, you're, when you're the starting pitcher, you're like, I'm going in there all the time and I'm, you know, consecutive, like without, like, there's just, there was so much volume in baseball back in the day. Um, and, and in a lot of sports there was, and just as we evolve, uh, everything's just going to start to, to level out a little bit and volume and the, the rest periods for players and stuff is going to definitely evolve as well. Yeah, it's amazing, like, looking back at some of the baseball players of, you know, even before, you know, we were into it, hearing about them pitch, like, yeah, your starting pitcher pitched three games of a seven-game series, and that's what he did. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And, and, and it's like, oh, yeah, no, there was no reason why Nolan Ryan wasn't putting up 130 pitches in a game. Like, yeah, no, he, he pitched 130, well, it wouldn't have been 130 pitch no-hitter, but, you know, he his, his mm-hmm, pitch count mm-hmm. was up into the hundreds regularly, and it was... You know, mm-hmm. it, it was it was different. The players, even then, you know, the players are throwing harder now than they were even in baseball than they were then. But it, it was a it was a different it's a different mentality that we obviously know much more about what uh, h- how to keep the players healthy um, in in all sports in general. They just don't make them like they used to. That's what I say. <laughs> you bunch of bunch it, of sissies around here now. <laughs> it's you know it. It, and it's it's great that we're in a period of time where, um, you know, these kind of conversations are happening. Not not just in disc golf, but in sports in general. I mean, you know, it was not that long ago where that kind of volume was happening, 
regularly and it still happens mm-hmm. in other sports you know so to to get where we're at i mean you know i'm a professional strength and conditioning coach working in the sport of disc golf i mean you know it probably took 150 years before there was a professional golf fitness coach you know like for the sport you know like it <clears throat> so we're we're evolving you know very quickly it, when it as it relates to other sports it wasn't that long ago that wayne gretzky said you know when a goal sc- when a weight scores a goal i'll have to wait you know like that wasn't <laughs> that long ago and now we have you know full-on professional strength coaches and all that in, in nhl as we've had for you know many many years now but uh that's not far removed from you know that that mindset in even hockey where it's like we don't need to do anything like we, we're just playing hockey now, some some people, and and as we start to wrap up, I I I feel like obviously you said you came in in 2016. I saw you out there, you know, offering up your services and your insight and your and all this knowledge and everything else that was benefit all to the benefit of our players. And then it what it didn't take long really before everyone else recognized uh, from up above, you know, both individual events and then eventually the tour to have you as a tool and an asset and a resource to all of our players, which is nothing but, you know, the highest of compliments to your work ethic and, and then your knowledge and and the value that you bring. I guess my question though, though, is, is, do you feel like pretty much everyone's on board and you don't have to call it names if they're not, but you used to get a handful of players that would maybe out of either being timid or a disbelief or a uh, or a non-belief maybe would would possibly talk to you or work with you at first just cuz you were new mm-hmm. now do you feel like just about everybody you know not only feels comfortable but recognizes and appreciates and sees the value in which you and your resources and your team can bring to to keeping our players going yeah i would say you know one of one of the things i understood when i when i first started uh working in the sport was that and it was a goal of mine was to really start to change the culture and conversation around you know athletic performance and um, taking care of your body and thinking about the stuff off the course and how it can affect you in a positive way. Um, and so it was a culture that needed to shift. Um, like I said, they just, they didn't do it in, you know, football or hockey until they did, uh, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's a culture and a, and a conversation that still is evolving. It's still evolving. Like, you know, there's, uh, there's definitely going to be players that, they just didn't grow up doing anything like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one, no one around them, you know, did it. And so to them, it just feels awkward to warm up at all, you know, just mm-hmm. because that's just not, it, it wasn't part of the culture. Like you're not going to get anyone in baseball in the major league baseball or anyone in the NFL or other sports uh, for that matter that, got to the major league baseball and, and the NFL and be like, uh, like never did any strength and conditioning whatsoever to get to this point. I mean, they, <laughs> sure. they, they do, they do it in high school. They do it in elementary school now. I mean, they're doing it. And, you know, if you're getting, if you're on the path to football or you're on the path to baseball or soccer or cross country you know, these days, like you're doing 
stuff. It's just natural. It's something that everyone around you is doing. And so why wouldn't you do it? And you see the value in it. And so do we have people, are there just, are there people that I won't won't even say they don't see the value in it. They can, you can see that there's something valuable. It's just, eh, maybe that's not for me. Sure. Or it's foreign to them. Yeah. And, and, and I tell, and I tell players, like I'll have players sometimes like they, you know, they, uh, they get off their training program and, you know, then they're nervous to tell me and I'm like, Hey, life, life happens. Like, that's okay. Like I'm, I'm not here to judge anyone. Like any player that doesn't come over to do a warm up with me or talk about anything. Like I have no judgment. I'm not like, it's like, I understand that we're still evolving. Like I said, you know, like doing this in disc golf, we don't, there's not a position for, you know, my position in a lot of sports at the level of sport that we are, you know? And so uh, it's going to just take time. It's going to take the youth doing it and it just be something natural, you know, to do. When I was, I remember being over in um, uh, Europe in 2019 and I was over there and, and taught clinics in five different countries there. And, and it was just interesting to see one, I would get a lot more people that would show up to the clinics because, you know, they're, they, they see what the pros do and they tend to want to do more of what the pros do. So they would see Ricky or or someone working with me. But I remember doing a club with uh, Oakley in Sweden and there was a good, good crowd there. And, so I, I said, who here plays uh, football uh, or hockey or some other sport? And everyone raised their hand. And I said, who here warms up before they play football or hockey or your sport? Everyone raised their hand. I said, who here warms up before they play disc golf? And no one raised their hand. And we all mm-hmm. laughed and stuff. And I said, so if this all of a sudden became like a hockey clinic, and I said, you know, let's warm up. You guys be putting your arms out and getting space <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, and everything. But because it's a disc golf clinic, now they were there to to have, to see me and or to, to listen to what I had to say. So, you know, I had a captive audience. But, uh, you know, just in general, they still, they, they were like, no, like it was foreign to them. Now they wanted to come and see about it, but still it was a foreign concept to them. And that was a long, that was 2019, right? And so... I understand that it's that it's evolving. We look at sports like, you know, like I said, I, I've always said it's like we look at the PGA, we look at we're like, oh man, what are they doing? It's like yeah, they took a hundred something years to get to where they're at, right? So we're 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 moving fast. We're moving fast in many areas. But uh yeah, we're gonna get players that for a while are still going to be timid. And I've got players that come warm up every single time. They don't miss it. You know, I'll call out some names. Ricky Wysocki, you know, uh, Corey Ellis is over there every single time. I think it Paul Yulabari, right? He, he comes over there, right? And, uh, and it's because so, he's old. Uh, he need, yeah, he needs, right? He needs some help. He's old now. You know, you know Yuli, will, Yuli will come over, you know. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of players, uh, both on the MPO and FPO side, that come over every single time. Sarah Hokum, Madison Walker, others. But um, And then there's some players that they don't come over unless they – feel something and they're like, Hey, mm-hmm. my shoulders, my shoulders bother me right now. So they trust maybe, maybe a warm up is just not something that they want to introduce into their routine right now. It's because they don't know how it's going to affect their game or whatever is their reasoning. But when they're hurting, they like, Seth, I need you right now. You know, should I go out today? Should I throw? What are we doing? 
right? And and so and that's okay. And I and I want to make sure that I have space for them. And then at some point, I've had people where they're they experience an injury or they something's going on, and then after that, they start coming warming up every single time, you know, because now like the ice was broken. Yeah, and and to be fair, some of those almost every one of those players, even if they're not necessarily warming up with you and at your stations they're probably doing some form of their own warm-up of course some stretching I mean, maybe at, some short to some throws degree. back and it, forth and it might be the routine they've been in for two or four or ten years and they're mm-hmm. going to keep doing what works for them and and that's obviously no disrespect to you or your program it's just that's nope. you know what they want to keep doing um which i can yep. totally understand as well but it just feels yeah, like gotta- that comfort level is getting wider and bigger and your your group and your session or not your sessions but just the the crowd around you and the players uh in the station it just it feels like it grows every year which to me seems obvious uh that it would but it's been awesome to see yeah it's been growing all the time i mean we're we're always getting more people coming over all the time and i said they may not come over every time because there there are some periods where it's like somebody who comes over all the time but uh they got stuck in traffic or something happened. They got 10, 20 minutes before they tee off or they just really feel like they need to get that putter hot. And Mm -hmm. so I I, I don't, if they walk right past and say, Hey, what's up? You know, and they walk off and go putting. I'm not like, you know, wow. Good luck sucker. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like (laughs) you should have stopped here. (laughs) (laughs) If that's what they feel is going to be best for them that day. You know, we, at the ducks, we had a, a, a great hockey player named Timmy Solani. And, uh, and Tamu finished flash hall of famer and my strength coach there, uh, who was the strength coach for the Minnesota wild for a long time after, after leaving the ducks. Um, he great strength coach Tamu Tamu did really nothing that, uh, you know, we had planned on the board. Uh, he would come in, I would have, I would put two forty fives on each side on a barbell. He would come in, he'd put it on his back. He would do like, 20 or 30 just like quarter squats just little squats boom done done totally not in line with the philosophy <laughs> that we had or anything that's Tamu Solani he's been doing that for like 35 40 years right like <laughs> we were like hey great job Tamu you want to you know here's your smoothie like you know that I would make for him it's like <laughs> that was one of the most stressful parts of my job is making smoothies because you had to have them done I've ever watched hockey before, but things can change in seconds, right? And so when you got to have the smoothies prepared, fresh, and ready to go, like the the, the protein shakes for the whole team, and like my job, one of my jobs was to have the protein shakes ready, right? And, you know, the ducks are down by like one or they're ahead by one with like 10 seconds to go, and I'm back there making the protein shakes, get them all pouring, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like two seconds left, bam! Going to overtime, I'm like, great. Now all these, <laughs> now all these protein shakes are gonna be ruined. Now I gotta go and I gotta figure out how to and to see oh. the guys that were like health, like the guys that were healthy scratches. Uh, you know, they would like they would just be sitting there like because I was making it like in the same area that they were just like hanging on the couch watching the game and they're just laughing at me, just razzing me the whole time as I'm trying to make yeah. these shakes for everyone. But basically, but essentially, so. There are players that have come in and they have their own thing that really works well for them. And mm-hmm. I don't take any offense to that because I'm like, if that is working for you, awesome. And when, when you feel like there's at some point you want 
something from how I can help as well to either revamp what you're doing or, you know, just give some pointers and, and kind of tweak what you're doing. That's okay. Like I don't, I don't have an ego as a coach where I'm like, what I'm doing is what everyone absolutely has to be doing. Because if what worked for Tammy Solani is the finished flash, right? If I give him some exercise and he feels like a 10th of a second slower, <laughs> you know, now like that's, that's not good for us. You know, like we want him to feel confident and I want the same thing for the players on tour to feel confident with what they're doing. And that's, that's the, that's the goal. I don't believe you. I think at the end of every round, you go out to UDisc, you hit the sort button to get the worst scores up at the top, and then you just go through with a little uh, list and you just check off, oh, worked out with me, eh, didn't work out with me. And you sit and you go by yeah, yeah. who shot the worst scores, like mm, yeah. in a condescending tone, you're like, hmm, oh, hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're just looking at all the, at mm-hmm. the scores. No? Okay. Doubtful. Mm-hmm. You know, I, last- I, uh, I had some, at one point, I did like, Back before I really worked for the tour, I had favorited some players on UDisc, just some players that I was working with often just to keep an eye right on them. And then one time I just I just had them favorited. Like I didn't, you know, and uh-uh. I was sitting there with another player and they're like, they're like, oh, what's going on with UDisc? And I like pull up UDisc and he's like, he's like looking at UDisc with me and he's like, I'm not a favorite. I'm like, oh man, I didn't like it. Ouch! <laughs> like I need to get rid of this favorite list because I get players all the time like that are like, hey, you know, like what's going on? And we're like looking at the scores or over there. I keep it very light. Oh, I keep it very light over at the opening up like, incognito windows. You know, like, yeah, weird. yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Here, let, let me I'm log like, into Tiffany's U disk and uh, yeah. she's yeah. She's, <laughs> so one yeah, uh, one exactly. last question. We'll talk to you uh, this week. Eagle yep. McMahon, as much as you can talk about, uh, had his shoulder uh-huh. surgery for his labrum. Yeah. Very mm, labrum, lab- yeah, labrum. obviously. What obviously, else would it be? <laughs> not the other word that you used a couple weeks ago. Um, and what what can you tell us about Eagle's uh, surgery and his his recovery? He, I believe, he said that he's looking at a f- uh, probably a four month recovery, but he might push it out to six and hopefully yeah. be back sometime early. You know, whether that's you know May Mayish if he's lucky. Uh, what what, what yeah. do you know? Have you heard from him? I think he mentioned he talked to you at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I talked to yeah. I've talked to Eagle and you know before the surgery, after the surgery, and you know he's in good spirits and definitely looking forward to a, a, a good recovery period. Uh, one thing I'll say about Eagle is you know I've been working with him for many years now, and and he, he's someone that you tell him. You know, you give him advice on say, hey, I want you to, to do this or look into this. He's going to do it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. he's he's going to he's he's not only an amazing athlete, but he's an amazing professional athlete who takes takes what he what what the gifts and the skills and everything that's been bestowed upon him and all the hard work. He, he doesn't take it for granted and he wants to do everything he can to be the best athlete he can be. And so, um, you know, with his, when it was time, when it was time to go the route of surgery, it, it wasn't a decision I know that he takes lightly. Um, and I, I've always with, with Eagle, as I do with others, like, you know, I, I'm not there with Eagle um, in in Colorado with him. And it would be a disservice to him for me to say, like, just listen to me. I'm going to do all your recovery. I'm going to do everything. Because 
that requires like a lot of like in person, you know, what's going on today. So I'm like, Hey, what, you know, we've for years now, it's like, Hey, what coach can we get you? You know, he's got a coach there as well that he's working with. So I'm working with them in the sense that, you know, right now more of a, just a, a guidance and advisory, just someone to talk to, because I want that. I want that coach and that, that team on, on the ground with him to be able to look, how is it doing today? Like it's, it's hard to do that with anyone over video and then give them the great, the, the, the good advice. So, so he's, he's always been someone that takes it, like I said, very, uh, um, uh, to heart and, and to soul and to everything he wants to do. So one thing we talked about in a text message was, uh, is that, you know, I said, I know you're going to recover. You're going to rehab like it's your job. And he said that too. We've been, you know, we've said that in the past over other things is like rehab, like it's your job. And I said, I know that everything that you're tasked to do and you're told to do, you're going to do. And that's all you can do. Like the, the recovery is going to, as long as you put in the work and you put in educated work and you have good guidance and you, and you follow a plan and you're, and you're consistent, we don't know what the end recover, what the end, end result of anything is going to be. But if you put in good stuff, there's a lot better chance of good stuff happening at the end, right? And Eagle's going to put in good stuff. Eagle's going to make sure that he's at the top of his game before he comes back. He's going to make sure that, you know, he's able to do the things he needs to do. Um, and he's, he's always been that way since I've been working with him. It's, you know, it's a, truly an honor and, and to have been working with him over these years through this because he'll do it. He'll do it. You tell him to do anything, he'll do it. Yeah, I think he had said that it's it's going to be about uh, one month of recovery, uh, like full recovery, not moving, not throwing, not doing anything, just 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 literally healing, and then f- like six to eight weeks of uh, physical therapy is you know the next step mm-hmm. after that. And yeah, I think he said then after that is when he'll probably look at picking up a disc and starting to casually mm-hmm. throw it. So it won't be for literally three more months before he probably even touches a disc. Or even then, mm-hmm. he said it will just be the lightest of of maybe putting or throwing before anything. I think he said it's going to probably be four to five months before he's really throwing again. So mm-hmm. they, they had said it was yeah. going to be a four, four to six month recovery time, and he said he has no. Thankfully, with the with the backloaded season of majors next year, he doesn't have to really rush because the first <clears throat> first huge event for him is probably going to be the European Open. And and mm-hmm. so that gives him until July to really recover. There's no there's no hurry. There's no nothing that he can just relax and 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 not really worry too much about missing anything. Which you know, on a whole nother note, sounds to me like a guy who really isn't thinking about uh, switching up sponsors. <laughs> it sounds like mm-hmm. a, to me. I think he's kind of got. I I, I, I I think that's a mm-hmm. I think that's a guy who's mm-hmm. comfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, on that note, uh, Seth, we uh, we do really appreciate you joining us and, and providing some backstory, some insight, um, just some of the philosophy that I think so many people, for, you know, maybe old school or even new school, just don't necessarily all put the pieces together. And you've been doing that for the pro tour, for the players, uh, and for people on a personal level with within your training and, and whatnot. So thank you for doing all of that. 
can you point someone toward some resources you know that that you're offering or that others are offering that you feel comfortable recommending uh anywhere you can point people uh that might be looking to get uh have their off season routine and or some just a coaching or direction where can you where can where should they go yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, discgolfstrong.com is, is a place where we're, you know, we put out stuff and, and on my social media, I'm going to be putting out a lot more content um, now that the season is over and I've got mm-hmm. more time uh, to, to do that. So just helpful things that, you know, you can do. Um, we have a, we have a free pre-round warm-up ebook. There's no strings attached to it or anything. It's just because we want, like, a, we want people to just warm up. And if that's one piece of advice for everyone is, you know, if you just start with a warm up, a good warm up, you can not only impact the ability of your of your body to perform better the, the way you want it to, um, but also become more resilient against injuries, lower that injury risk. And so, uh, you know, definitely start doing a warm up, whether it's something I do or something you do on your own. You know, um, go down that path, um, and just I, I encourage people to start where you are, do what you can. You know, one of the biggest blocks for as we talked about in the beginning with nutrition and stuff and the biggest blocks is people think you got to go crazy if you want to make some improvements people think you got to do it all some you know you got to get do the highest volume the highest intensity the most complex stuff just do something this off season um and you know you're gonna you're gonna be better for it but if you go to discgolfstrong.com you'll see there's some some more guidance there um yeah awesome Awesome. Well, you've clearly been a resource for me on a personal level in many ways. Also, every weekend when we're checking in, whether it's the you know the weather and or conditions and things going on the ground, we really appreciate. And as you said, all the extra work and things you've been tasked with uh, it, to to watch your roles transition and really just get piled on more. I hope they keep paying. <laughs> I hope the paycheck piles on more. Uh, all the things, the safety and the the weather and the things that are included there along. Along with all of uh, the the training and strength and conditioning with our players, it's been incredible journey to see you on, and we uh, we appreciate you joining us tonight, and we appreciate all the insight for everyone else out there. Yeah, uh, Disc Golf Strong is what they should check out. Any other plugs or resources that uh, uh, they need to look at, or or you could point them to, or reference points that you often use. Maybe any books. I know you often speak of meditation and some apps and programs there. Hmm. Yeah, I would say uh, sure. Um, I would say Mind Gym and Athlete's Guide to Inner Excellence is a great book. I've, I've recommended it to many, to many uh, players. Um, and so doing some mental game, some mental skills training for sure. Uh, doing some meditation. Uh, it, it can go such a long way. Even five minutes, it feels like nothing. But uh, if you ask Eagle, he's going to highly recommend it. Um, so the, the meditation, uh, just... Yeah, that's where I would say. I mean, Smashbox, I've heard that's a great podcast, so definitely check them out. Um, yep. If you need a nap or a long, <laughs> right. for, no, for, no, for no, those no. long drives, it makes your long drives feel a lot shorter. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate you both. It's it's always been an uh, honor and pleasure to be you know guest with you here, and also just you know seeing you in person. I mean, I got to see you at USCGC. It was one of the happiest times uh, that I've had because I haven't seen you in person in a while, and so I yeah. loved. Love seeing you there. So thank you both. Uh, I look forward to continuing to chat with you here in person, on the phone, whatever we do. And thanks to everyone at home for for tuning in. 
uh, not only to me, but to listen to these guys all the time because, you know, you guys bring so much value to our sport and you have for so long. So appreciate you all. And as I always say, you know, train disc golf strong because you got to be able to play disc golf strong. Right. Appreciate you, buddy, everyone. That's Seth Muncy wearing uh, yes. a dozen different hats, eating a dozen or more Reese's peanut butter cups. But we're not judging. More, we love you, buddy. Thanks will. for joining us uh, and having a good love night. You guys. See ya. Good night, Seth. All right. Alrighty. What a good guy. It was nice to be able to see him at USDGC. Had a great hug from him. Gave a great hug to him. Mm. Just in general. Just a a good a good resource. I I was thinking back to um it was probably twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen when uh, we for when he first came on the show. No, we had him in twenty seventeen. Was it twenty seventeen? I couldn't I couldn't remember. Exactly. Uh, we might have had him before that, but twenty seventeen world specifically uh, in a in a bar in in Augusta during the worlds when we had one of our nightly podcasts. Oh, yeah. We also had him as an on site guest. That's right, and uh, that was when we were all together doing it yep. uh, there specifically. No, I have a disc golf strong. Uh, a uh, little towel just hanging out. It just sits there. It's kind of just a little, like a... A, a classic a reminder. It's a reminder, a memento. Well, we appreciate, uh, again, everything that Seth has been doing. And, and I, I, I mean that so sincerely when I talk about mm-hmm. watching his yeah. roles expand in really all the, the stress and pressure and, and additional work that's been put on his shoulders. Uh, just uh, so valuable. So we, we love you and appreciate you, Seth. Yeah, I thought it was a good idea to talk to talk with him about Eagle because Eagle had made a big, long Instagram post about his recovery. Uh, it was him and a Pokemon Snorlax just chilling out on a couch. Yeah. And just kind of talking about what he's looking at for the next, you know, four to six months. So it was, it's good to get Seth's input on that as well. Yeah, it was, uh, again, the 25th or 26th where I believe Eagle had his surgery. And somebody had asked me this weekend uh, if I had seen the video he posted. So you must maybe took in more than I did. Uh, but it's I think he had a video just prior to surgery and then one right after yeah, surgery. Yeah, I saw the one so. right after surgery. Okay, so it, make sure you guys check it out. It was five to six wanna... minutes long where he just talks about, you know, what's coming up for him. Yeah, if you want to hear it from Eagle, find him on on the Instagrams and yeah, uh, I think that's about all that we have for our that's, regular show. Is all... I've got a lot of random other places to go with it, but uh, sure. we've got we more for the, the after, after show. show. So uh, with that, I think we're going to call it for our regular show tonight. Stick around the after show as always. We'll talk disc golf. We'll talk things non disc golf. We got a few exciting things that are going to be coming up in the next week or so that I want to get a little bit more into, kind of, sort of, just maybe a longer tease. Uh, but most importantly, a tease giveaway. before the tease. A giveaway. We're going to have a giveaway. And if you want to be eligible for that giveaway, How do you do Terry, that, Johnny? Oh, I was, going to, I was going to throw it at you, but I will tell, uh, I will tell everybody it is patreon.com slash smashboxtv. Um, if you want to help us in any financial way, we'll put that right towards Disco Strong. Yeah, Terry all we do is buy ice cream for that guy. Both, both you and I need Disco <laughs> Strong in some matter. Yes. Um, so if, if you support us at patreon.com slash smashboxtv, it'll help us continue to put out this podcast for years to come. And you can win free stuff every single week. You could win something for free. Uh, yeah, you win, we give away a disc every single week. Or more. So make sure uh, you check that out. We're going to call it. That's Smashbox TV's podcast 478. We're going to take a quick break. We'll stand down and then we'll see you in the after show. For Johnny, I'm the Disc Golf Guy. Thank you, Seth, for joining us. We'll see you in the after show. Again, Smashbox TV podcast 478. We'll see you when you step inside the Smashbox. 478. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please visit patreon.com slash smashboxtv. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 